It's time for today's Lucky Land horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Support for this podcast comes from Pluto TV. Need an escape? Drop into Pluto TV for a world of free TV. Stream hundreds of channels and thousands of movies and shows all for free. Yeah, free. No subscriptions, no fees. Imagine 24-7 channels of Narcos, CSI, Star Trek, Survivor, and everything else from hit movies to binge-worthy TV shows, the latest news, live sports, comedy, and more. What are you waiting for? Download the free Pluto TV app for Android, iPhone, Roku, and Fire TV and start streaming now. Pluto TV. Drop in. Watch free. On your sudden fate! Move! 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 What are you waiting for, Hume? What's the matter, Hume? Did you not hear me? I'm sorry, sir. I was... I was having a dream, sir. You're having a dream, were you? And what were you dreaming about? That it took you so sodding long to get to your mark! I was in a helicopter, sir. And there was a storm, sir. And I don't remember the rest, sir. Well, at least it was a bloody military dream. Right! All of you! In the yard! Four minutes! And you can thank Private Hume for having to do it in double time. Move! One, two, three, three! One, two, three, four! One, two, three, five! One hundred punches! Go, 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 go! One, two, three. I hope your dream was worth this, mate. Sorry, pal. It's just... I never had a dream that was so vivid. It was... It was like I was actually there. You got something to say, Hugh? I asked you a question! We're almost through it. Nicely daylight. What do you think you're doing? Are you all right? Who are you? Oh, you know my name! is over but we have to go back down the hatch it's the lost rewatch podcast here on post show recaps and uh my my nose may be bleeding due to time travel but my heart is full mike bloom because can you believe we have reached the constant 
I truly cannot believe it in a myriad of ways. Sorry, I've just been eyeing through my gurnal all the notes I take <laughs> as we cover these episodes. Crazy, Josh. You know, back when we started this podcast, I found myself taking this known entirely oh my god if anything goes wrong dj dom will be my constant wow so you came with dj dom to down the hatch and you didn't even know it until just now but the question is will i be leaving with him or will my <laughs> own mom shoot so. me <laughs> well dj I mean, dom is dj dom your mom Oh, DJ, DJ Mom. Mom. <laughs> it was right there. Why didn't we figure it out? Darth Vader literally translates to oh, Dark Father. It was oh right in front of us. Oh, my God. It was right there the whole time. Mike, I think that there are there are certainly some milestones in addition to Miles Strom along the way here uh, on a journey through Lost. And we've been talking a lot recently about how we're in the second book of the show. The second book of the show gives you this tour de force episode so quickly into it. Uh, you know, chapter five, right? Chapter five is where this show really just goes to a next level and um, presents us with an episode of television that I think is not just talked about as the best episode of Lost, um, but is uh, discussed as one of the best episodes of anything. Um, the constant, I think, is in that conversation. So when we started doing Down the Hatch, you know, when we did that very first episode where we like laid out the structure of the podcast that we have abandoned in many ways. <laughs> completely. We said, here's a skeleton. Completely, but in many ways we have deeply abandoned um, that I think, you know, we presented like the idea of like, we're going to bring in sound clips and like the sound and like to like kind of like walk through that piece of the structure. We wanted to produce sounds that would sort of like express why Lost was a show that was worthy of all of this discussion all of these years later. And the final scene with Desmond and Penny from this episode was included. And I remember getting chills back then mm -hmm. uh, and being like, if we make it to that point on Down the Hatch, like, that's crazy. Like, there was a piece of me that did not believe we would be able to do it. And certainly Mike did not believe that we would, like, be putting out new podcast content every single week from that moment till now. But we've done it. And yeah. we're at the constant and uh, it's crazy to me. Like, I don't have jokes right now. I'm like genuinely like filled with a lot of emotion about the fact that we have reached what many believe. And I think I would be hard pressed, like having rewatched it again, I'm very hard pressed to fight against it. Um, the best episode of Lost. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I we can certainly have comments about that later because I certainly have disparate thoughts. My mind is being pulled in two direction when it comes to that regard especially after rewatching this episode, this feels seminal in so many ways, right? We talked about this, I think, with Through the Looking Glass, with just how magnanimous of a moment that was for the show proper. But this feels so special. This is that... No, special was from season one. Yeah, I know. You know what? I enjoyed special to a certain extent as <laughs> yeah. well. Uh, no CGI polar bears to Do be found in this one, Do you need a CGI polar bear in this episode to convince you that the constant is, like, hands down the best episode of Lost? Yeah, you know what? Actually, if you replace Eloise with a giant CGI <laughs> polar bear... <laughs> going through the maze! Eloise the bear would have been amazing, yeah. Imagine, like, all right, we're going out to, the, to this wild corner maze that I built to track a polar bear running through. A, a time-traveling polar bear in a corn maze? Yeah, the constant is then winning the argument every day of the week that it's the best oh, episode yeah. of Lost. It's Absolutely. not even close. That's, like, yeah. that's, you know, that goes far beyond jumping the shark. It's even jumping the moon. But it's such a special 
moment of the show, and it really comes out of nowhere, right? We talk about how season four, even to the extent of these first three episodes, have sort of been at this breakneck pace. We're bringing in these new characters. We're adapting a new tone. I think we're starting to do away with some of the more minutiae that came with the first season, three seasons. And then this episode just comes out of nowhere, an episode that, for the first time, much like we did in that initial episode, abandoned its structure. This is the first episode outright to not necessarily feature the flashbacks and flash forwards in the way that we're typically used to them. Uh, we're definitely flashing back and flashing forward, but in a very, very different way. We are experiencing time in a different way, where flashes before your eyes was sort of the aperitif to this very, very odd main course. And then we sort of move on from it. And I think that the seeds that have been planted in the constant will definitely germinate, especially over the course of season five, when we get more so into the idea of time travel and Daniel Faraday becomes more of an important character. But one thing that I love about this is that a lot of other episodes that are in the conversation for best episodes of Lost are often, you know, finales, right? Or an episode near the beginning, something like Walkabout, for instance. This comes out of nowhere. This is season four, episode five, yes. just stuck between Eggtown and the other women. And it comes out just as an incredible tour de force of writing, performance, structure, narrative in a way that, in my opinion, transcends the show proper. And I, I love it in the fact that it really does come out of nowhere. It completely blindsides you. You're flying into this thunderhead and you don't realize you get struck until you're in the middle of everything. Yeah, I think the constant is lost at its best. And um, when I say that, I don't necessarily mean this is my favorite episode of Lost. Mm-hmm. You know, I definitely have episodes of Lost that like are just sort of like my specific comfort food. But I think it is really hard for me to argue against the idea that this is not Lost at its best. It's 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 a tight 42 minutes, no time wasted at all. Um, it's focusing on such an incredible character in Desmond. Um, it is it is brilliantly leaning on some other characters. In fact, I think that this is an, a really underrated Saeed episode. Oh yeah. Um and and I think more than anything like this is a, this is an episode that is not just this episode is so losty. I think that this this episode of Lost and this used to be something that I that I fought against is like an episode of Lost really needs to have that island component to be like the episode of Lost and the constant is not completely devoid of the island but it is so focused elsewhere um and so that has been a hang-up for me in the past it's it's not at least on this one for me um because there is an island storyline and the island stuff has has its charm um i think the thing about the constant is this episode is i would say like the perfect execution of lost's ultimate mission statement uh this is like the thesis episode of lost this is a show that like takes a hammer to structure. This is a show mm-hmm. that travels across time and has from the start with flashbacks um, informing the actions of characters on the present. We've already moved into a structure where jumping forward into the future is clarifying what's happening in the present. And the present is clarifying a future timeline. We are uh, no Claire's not in this episode, Josh. You know, we are we are now at this place where uh, we are moving into the idea that even within the reality of the show's universe, um, time is uh, is a variable. Mm -hmm. Time is not Mm -hmm. a constant. Um, And I think like presenting that here uh, in terms of like the structural stuff, I think that that's a really important underpinning 
for uh, where the show is ultimately going to go and whether or not it succeeds, your your mileage varies. Um, but the ultimate point that the show is trying to to make is that life is about love and and who you've met and who you came with and who you're leaving with and and all of that good stuff. And uh, I think the way that that maps onto this episode, this is obviously such a romantic episode. Uh, you know, it's not lost on me that as we are recording this podcast, hey, not, been, not when it's being released, as we are recording this podcast, uh, that it is the day after Valentine's Day. So the timing is really good. Um, but it's not just it's about it's about love. It's about faith. It's about, um, uh, you know, following big ideas that don't seem to make any kind of sense on paper. And yet you your faith is rewarded. Science is involved as well. It's just like it's <laughs> quote all, unquote science. It's just all of the pieces that Lost goes for. Um, done at their absolute best. Uh, and I think it, it is hard to find a flaw with the constant. And mm-hmm. so I think that this is the thing is that like, this is the closest to a flawless victory that lost ever executes. And a, a piece of this for me is thinking that like how much of this, you know, we talk sometimes Mike about like the strength of an ending accelerating an episode's score, like the whole mm-hmm. truth the, the got any milk moment. Um, uh, right, we, even much, talk, we even talked about it last week with Eggtown. Yes. Uh, we talked about it with Eggtown. And I think that like for this episode, um, you know, there's definitely like the final piece of it with the Desmond and Penny call, which isn't like the final, final scene. Um, I, I think is something that elevates the episode, but I think it elevates it from what would already be an A plus into like some stratospheric category you couldn't yeah. even talk about. Um, so I think I do think that this is in the same way as through the looking glass. I think that this is an episode of television that just does everything right. And I think one of the things that maybe would I would be inclined to put it past through the looking glass for myself, just from like a we're not worthy standpoint, <laughs> uh, is that it manages to do all of this in between two whatever episodes of Lost without really any warning and in 42 minutes with a character who is already like not like one of the foundational characters. I think the thing that they are able to accomplish, the things that they are able to accomplish with this episode, just absolutely vast and so incredible. Well, I think... I have not done this experiment yet, Faraday style. I wonder if the constant is an episode that you could honestly show to someone who hasn't seen an episode of Lost before or has maybe dropped off the show for a while because it really almost exists in its own category in that regard. Like it's based in some previous narration, but it does seem it benefits from being constrained to really Desmond's journey. And we know a bit about him, but we're exploring parts of his past that we're really not familiar with before. You can sort of give the yada yada on Penny because there is no previously on Lost here, which is another uh, facet of how unconventional it is. Yeah, I mean, if, if we're getting to the heart of the matter, I I can say that I think this might be the best non-finale episode. Yeah. But I'm still hard-pressed to not I'm still hard pressed to put it above through the looking glass and Exodus because to me I understand I think what those you, finales have such an advantage it's tough oh yeah well they have it exactly but I do think to your point you're, you're saying that uh, there's a lot of thematic elements in here that come back to lost I mean even past the whole sciency time travel stuff it's the idea of connection the idea of a constant of finding someone that carries you through one plane of existence to another is going to be seminal and part of the final message of the show it's the heartbeat it's the heart of the island in a way 
But there is something, I wouldn't say this is a flaw of the, the episode. The real lost was the Constance we met along the way. Exactly. Constance Wu, if you will. Uh, <laughs> but I, I think that... Didn't have that on my bingo card. <laughs> oh, it was on mine. So now yeah. I'm, I'm distinctly ahead of you. I think one thing that, I wouldn't say this episode lacks as compared to those episodes, but something that it does not necessarily have, again, maybe to the strength of it, is the fact that I looked this up. Jack and Saeed are the only season one characters that are in this episode. I do think something that is missing from this episode, and it's not a problem with the episode, but something that is missing from it is that ensemble quality is the idea of, okay, we're here are all these different personalities interacting with each other, tied into each other's life. Again, that's the final message of the show is that these were the most important people in your lives to the point where you all built this world together to wait to move on until everybody woke up. I think that, you know, it's this episode skewed that in favor of doing a really it's weird to say simple, but I think focused love story that I think is incredibly well done. But I do think in those episodes, embracing more of that group of, you know, swarthy castaways aspect might eke it out above this. But again, we are essentially comparing gold standard episodes of television right now. So no complaints at all. None at all. Um, and I, you know what, I, man, I'm, I'm just so excited to, to, to be in this, in this mode of, of talking about Desmond and Penny at their finest. Like, I think that through these characters and, and sometimes, I don't know, sometimes it takes like having a new set of eyes to sort of clarify what you were looking at. Oh, you got uh, new glasses? Uh, not yet. I do need a new prescription, I believe. Uh, but I think it needs like a new, a new perspective to like re-clarify where you were. Um, mm. and Desmond comes along at the, you know, throughout season two, but mostly at the end of season two and then into season three to start like kind of bringing that into focus. And Desmond actually, when you think about him as a character is like a pretty sparingly used character. Yeah. Um, you know, we're going to, he's going to be a regular in, in five and six, but he's like, a, he's like, you know, really like kind of like drips in the pan. I think that they use Desmond as sort of like, I don't know what's like a, like a, you know, like pinch of salt and you're baking. You know, mm-hmm. like it, yeah. the salt makes everything taste more like itself is something that I heard a wise woman say once <laughs> named Emily Fox, my constant. Um, and I think like Desmond and Penny are sort of the pinches of salt that make lost taste more like itself. Yeah, well, it's their sweetness. So maybe they're more so the the sugar in that regard and more of the 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 savory type of dish. But yeah, it's. it's I mean, it's an incredible love story. I think I know as as the Lost account at the time we're recording this just posted, you know, what's the best couple on Lost? It's always going to be Desmond and Penny. And it's almost because we see so little of them that we benefit because every time they're on screen, it hits as opposed to the, the innumerable times that we go through Jack, Kate, Sawyer and Juliet. Uh, the, the little we get of Desmond and Penny hits absolutely every time. And we got to start this episode by just talking about how much Henry and Cusick and Sonia Wagger just kill it, kill it, knock it out of the park, especially that final phone conversation from an acting perspective. The two hardest things you can do as a performer to come off realistically are to act drunk and to be on the phone. And Bob Newhart does an incredible job. His entire comedy was built around bits about being on the phone where you could actually realistically believe someone was on the other end. It's an incredibly tough thing to do, especially when that person isn't talking to you. And the fact that they are able to make one of the most beautiful scenes in Lost happen while essentially talking and reacting to thin air is a feat in and of itself. 
And I want to throw some praise, especially Henry and Cusick's way, just because of everything he has to do in this episode. It is a Herculean effort. Everything he has to go through, all the timeline stuff, all the states of mentality, all of the emotions. This is running the gamut and then some. This is by far, I think, his best performance on the show. I think this is a tour de force episode for Desmond and Henry and Cusick. And I, it, I, he's never going to hit these highs again as a character. So I'm, I'm happy to marinate in this like a Kahana bobbing on the water. I'm here to drink it all in like an overflowing faucet, Josh. All right. Well, let's get into the constant without further ado. Of course, we are recording this as part of our binge recording session here in season four to make sure that the podcast continues uninterrupted while I'm starting the new gig. I would also like to briefly say hello to our fellow time travelers. We are for the first time recording a recap of Down the Hatch live Woo! with an audience of people who are listening in as we are going. Uh, we will we will say hi to them more in the feedback section if they've got feedback that they want to give yeah. to us live here on the air. But of course, if you ever want any of these patron type perks for the patrons of Post Show Recaps, you can definitely look into that. Patreon.com slash Post Show Recaps. That will show you the way towards accessing perks like watching an episode of Down the Hatch live from time to time. Things like that. Of course, down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com is our feedback email address. Send that in your ratings, all of your feedback, everything. Go through that channel. We will catch up on everything once we are up to meet Kevin Johnson, I think, is right. when we're going to be like live with the feedback. Yeah, well, you know, um, speaking of... A we, ha- we don't meet Kevin Johnson in this episode. Would well, that have made this episode better or worse? I don't know. I mean, he's sort you get, of... like shades of Michael. He may yeah. be there. An open door and a cut sec- uh, communication system. I should also mention that people who are watching right now know that Josh and I are actually dressed up in theming for this episode. I am, of course, rocking the Minkowski cosplay yes. with a collared shirt and a sweater. And Josh is wearing a North Face straight out of 1996. So yes, really, we correct. are doubly dressed for the constant. I also have a, a headset on uh, with like a little uh, microphone uh, attachment to channel my inner Frank Lapidus. Oh, yes. Perfect. And so yeah. we are ready to to take this on in full force with a gaggle of people behind us along for the ride. Yes. Yeah, so the time travelers watching this live, I hope you enjoyed our recap of Eggtown when you get to it. Enjoy yeah. your breakfast. I hope everyone enjoyed my ABBA parody, which yeah, that was I think, pretty good. I think yeah. some, some people who are now in the chat, like, what the hell? And people who are now listening in present time are like, yeah, OK, now this makes sense. Now we have something for the present timeline people to enjoy that maybe those that are living in the past right now don't. All right. Let's go forth into the jungle, Mike. Let's talk about the constant. This is the dream team directed by Jack Bender, written mm-hmm. by Lindelof and Q's. Yeah, I mean, this is when you have Lindelof and Q's writing an episode, you know, it has to be capital I important. And not to say that every episode they write is a, is a four point two necessarily. But you could tell that this was something they really wanted to have their hands on. I believe they have said that I think in retrospect, this is one of their favorite episodes. And it honestly might be them at their best in terms of, like you said, the the defeat and the task they are able to accomplish within a slim 42 minute period. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So the episode begins on a helicopter uh, because when we left them in The Economist, Saeed and Desmond escaped. They got away. At least for a time with Frank Lapidus and the body of Naomi Dort. Uh, and we haven't really had a big moment to spend with Desmond 
uh, in yep. season four so far. Uh, you know, the last thing that we that we really got from from Desmond in a big way, like he's been doing like the why do you have this picture of me thing? Yeah. You know, every, every once in, 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 in a while. episode one, he was he shows up on the beach like, oh, I'm sorry, Hurley. You know, Charlie's dead. But essentially, right. he has ser- sort of served as that conduit. The last thing we really got from him was in through the looking glass. So much like we talked about how Jin finally says a few things in Eggtown, we really have seen and heard very little of Desmond up until this point. Yeah, well, we get a huge dose of him here, don't we? Um, as he's on the helicopter and he's staring at the picture of Penny. Uh, and, you know, he, he the reason he's go- going to the freighter in the first place is he knows it's not Penny's boat, but whose boat is it then? Who are you people and why are you manipulating me specifically? Like it feels like another way in which um, the the universe has just been like noogieing him, right? Because like he feels like the universe has this deep grudge against him. And it's like, why do you keep doing this to me? Why do you keep kicking me when I'm down? Why is this not Penny's boat? And why are you saying that it is? So he wants to know. So if you if this is not uh the the thing that you're saying that it is then i want to find out what it is and so so desmond's on the chopper he got to the chopper for that very specific reason and he's there with saeed who is uh i think uh, again we we talk about this a little bit i think uh in the economist podcast Mm -hmm. uh about how i actually think that uh, i think you can draw a really clear line through saeed's arc ultimately through Desmond. I think Desmond is a really ultimately important, like another, like that critical pinch of salt that, yeah. that helps the Saeed story uh, activate and be more like itself. Um, Cause Saeed is here and he's talking to Desmond about uh, what is it with the boat that it's not, that it's not Penny's boat. What do you expect to find when you get there? And Desmond says, answers. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was going to say, now we're just turning into pure Arnold as your D and D crossing over. Josh. <laughs> I so Said is is a fun little backseat driver to Frank Lapidus as well. Uh, we get you know a little bit of follow up from at least Frank drew a cheat sheet or Daniel Faraday drew Frank a cheat sheet as to what bearing they need to pursue to make sure that everything goes okay. What I do find interesting, Josh, we didn't talk about this when when Faraday first mentioned the bearing, but it is three oh five, which Said might remember because that's the bearing that Locke found on Mister Echo's stick. Interesting that, that took them to the flame. So I do think that's interesting. Don't mistake that, coincidence for fate well i think that the idea of communication exists inherently in both those places right and the flame currently had its its signals blocked but it more so represented that idea of outside communication and we're gonna find out very very soon that the kahana represents the outside world in many ways yeah all right so frank flies the chopper into a storm uh for all of our praise for frank lapidus mike do we need to consider the possibility that Frank is like a like a, a hot and cold pilot. That yeah, he can land a chopper like nobody's business. But this dude keeps flying into storms, Mike. Well, I think that the storm is placed in front of him, and it's really this matter of okay. You sure, it's you- not like a Walt level thing where he summons the storms. <laughs> oh, do you think that Frank Lapidus is storm? He <laughs> yeah, has the he long hair. Yeah, yeah, he could he be could a roar. Be. Um, yeah. I could, uh, but yeah, I, I think that. You know, it's a decision of, okay, do I pursue the line that Daniel gave me of go 305 no matter what, or do I try to avoid this storm and screw something up? I can imagine that Frank Lapidus is already experiencing some kooky things with this island that he's like, Faraday's a little off, but he's right all the time. So let me just follow his directions no matter what the thinking might be. So I actually give Lapidus 
credit here. And he tries his best. You know, he does ultimately go off the bearing, which sends Desmond completely spinning, as we're going to see over the course of this episode. But he ultimately, he's able to get through a storm in a chopper. You know, they, and even, no matter what you say about him being able to actually get through the storm, he always gets through unscathed. Maybe yeah. he sheds some passengers if they're over the island, but the, ch- the chopper is always fine by the time they finish flying through those storms. Yeah. Um, so this is one of the things that's just so excellent about this episode. It's not just the way in which it plays with time, but also the way in which it plays with sound. Uh, mm. Because you're so used to like getting some sort of like audio flash that cuts you in and out of the past <laughs> and the present. The timpani. Right, or the or the present in the future, whatever it is. And here, it's just suddenly, snap, Desmond is somewhere else. Um, and I think that that helps us get into his headspace so that we quickly understand that this isn't a matter of Desmond remembering something. This isn't a matter of something that happened to Desmond once upon a time being um, particularly interesting or important mm-hmm. in contrast with where he is now. Uh, you know, it's, it's not like that. Um, this instead is we are on this helicopter ride with Desmond. We're actually on a straight line. And there's a way in which I think that this is a really complicated story to, to follow as an actor, I have to imagine. Yeah. And yet at the same time, I think that there's a degree to which there is, um, there's something simple and elegant about it. Because Desmond, from this moment, the second that he snaps and flashes back and goes back to uh, to to the to the armed services, now Desmond is on a straight line through all of the scenes for the rest of the episode. He is playing one emotion and one journey, right. one sort of like uh, you know Ulyssesian, uh, Odyssean. Can't say the word Ian. Just, just add the add scenes add to the, the end of it. The dean, you know, he's on he's on a quest. You know, he's questing forward from that point forward. Uh, and I got to imagine that for an actor, um, for Henry and Cusick. You have to find your constant in the performance. I think that's the constant is he's questing uh, as the storm overtakes Desmond. And uh, we we see everything that we heard at the start of this episode. Right. Mm-hmm. He's back. There's the sergeant. That's Graham McTavish. Great actor from all manner of things, whether it's Outlander or Preacher. I imagine he got some Game of Thrones time in. Maybe he didn't. He definitely got some uh, time in The Hobbit, I believe. Oh, uh, really? Who do you play in The Hobbit? He was a dwarf. Oh, he was okay. one of the dwarves. One of the, one of the hot ones? No. Uh, unfortunately. <laughs> no, I mean, I guess I don't want to yuck anyone's yum. Yeah, come uh, on. You know, whatever. everyone has their dwarf. But yeah, so so we see Desmond's time in the army right here. I should also mention, as, as you talk about the unconventionality of the Flashes, this episode is immaculately edited. The way that they do just expert cuts from Desmond's momentum in the past to the present and vice versa. We're going to get to it later where the camera swoops around Desmond saying, I'm not supposed to be and then it cuts to him in the present saying here or in the past saying here, right there, he's completing his own sentence, but in a completely different time period, it is so, so, so well done considering just how smooth that transition needs to be, how much you need to evoke that performance out of Henry and Cusick that he needs to deliver it as exactly the same way. So it comes across like one complete sentence. And the fact that they, they do it so hurriedly as the episode moves along 
it's just so incredibly done. This is a masterclass from a production level. But now we get to see a little bit of Desmond's time in the army as, you know, I know that he's he's not Desmond proper, but it does feel like this this boot camp director, Dwaylin from The Hobbit, if you will, is definitely evoking the attitude of calling everyone a little donkey. <laughs> yeah, big Shrek energy, like evil Shrek, mean Shrek. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, cranky that's a, Shrek. I was gonna say, so then it's sort of like Shrek one first act Shrek, where he's except this time he's sending everyone into the swamp to go do crunches in the pouring rain. I will say a piece of symbology that I didn't, I didn't notice up until this watch through. Josh, this episode is full of water between the Pacific Ocean around the freighter, the rain here, the overflowing faucet that Charles Widmore leaves there. And it's a, it's a weird image. But when you think about Desmond dipping in and out of the time stream, I do think this idea of working with water and as Pocahontas says, uh, you never step, step in the same river twice. This idea of futzing with consciousness and moving in in through these waters that are rushing around you is a really cool elemental symbol for Desmond's arc this episode. Totally agreed. And I think, you know, that stemming from I don't know, there there is something to the idea that uh Desmond hasn't left the looking glass to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like I think to a certain extent there's an idea that his thoughts are still not just with Charlie and maybe less so with Charlie than with the ramifications of what Charlie has said. And so I think, you know, he is in, in many ways still underwater. Uh, so I think the way that that follows throughout this episode uh, and brings him above water to the, to the freighter to seek answers, uh, I think is the, 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 the visual metaphor is very much there, very yeah, much we, there. And we should also mention that there's a lot of just weighty dialogue even in the course of 1996 i love this idea that the boot camp director mean shrek yells for desmond to find his spot and that's going to be desmond's mission this entire episode right right? it's just to find his spot and while he finds it in this moment he is incredibly lost right now i will say i think flashes before your eyes helps him in many ways in that now i think he's used to flashing back and forth between so many things that he's like, all right, I can get more used to it. So the difference now between flashes before your eyes and this is that flashes before your eyes. It was very cognizant that Desmond's present consciousness, his 2004 consciousness went back to those years with Penny. Now we're dealing with his 1996 consciousness coming forward to 2004 and so again this doesn't necessarily it feels like the spiritual sequel to flashes before your eyes but it's incredibly different where now we have someone time traveling in a very different way of someone who is essentially losing their sense of self in the present through miring themselves in their own past so uh desmond is you know he's like i'm sorry sir i was having a dream sir and I forget exactly what Doylen says, but he's like, was it a good dream? You know, yeah. <laughs> did you have fun? Was it nice? Because well, you I'm just like, earned pushups for the whole crew. I had a dream that uh, I had a test in school and I was naked and then all my teeth <laughs> fell out. <laughs> it was a, it was an anxiety dream. I uh, wonder why I'm feeling so anxious right now. <laughs> so so everyone's like, why did you do this test? It's like, I'm so sorry, guys. 
I apologize. This this is why you and I can. One of the reasons why you and I can never join the army, Josh. Too much peer pressure. <laughs> too much anxiety way around too that. Too much. No way. I would be awful. Oh God, can you even imagine? Um, but then, like, he's like, it was the it was the most real dream I've ever had. And then the 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 drill sergeant starts like drilling back into him, and suddenly he snaps back. He's on the helicopter. He's mm-hmm. in the moment. And now, like you say, it's his ninety six. Um, mentality, uh, him in 1996 is snapping forward into the future and Saeed's asking him, are you okay? Are you okay? And Des says, I don't, who are you? And how do you know my name? And we smash to Lost and so very quickly, the stakes are established, the setup of the episode is clear. Um, I think that that's one of the things that's so brilliant about this episode. It's just got spectacular clarity of vision, Mike. Yeah, and so... The constant, even Lindelof and Cuse have mentioned this, has several pop culture roots. Obviously, I think we've talked about this all the way back since our first podcast, Slaughterhouse Five, with Billy becoming unstuck in time. I don't think it's coincidental that Desmond's pal in the army is named Billy as well. A nice reference to Kurt Vonnegut. But something else that's a little bit closer to my nerdy heart is that Lindelof and Cuse were very much inspired by the series finale of Star Trek The Next Generation. Yeah. All, all good things, or should I say all good things, ooh, considering there's a dot, dot, dot at the end of it. <laughs> yeah. Where yeah. John Luke Picard has a very similar journey of jumping his consciousness between not just two, but three time periods. And so I love how... That, that Those types of shows tend to more so unravel that mystery more slowly as the episode progresses. Like you said, no, we are hit right here. Granted, we don't necessarily know in this moment that it's 1996, and we just know that he doesn't remember who Saeed is. It might be possible that he's experiencing memory loss, a la Daniel Faraday. But we know that something's wrong. The stakes are there from the very beginning, even without the Kahana showing up. And we know that the onus of this episode is we need to get Desmond back on track now. Right. Um, so that's where we start. We we do go to the beach and it's a little bit of the aftermath of last time of like they found out that uh, Desmond and Syed and Frank have not reached the freighter yet, even though like enough time has passed that they absolutely should have gotten there. And they got on the line with RG, Regina George. Uh, and she's like, yeah, we don't know what you're talking about. Uh, they're not here. Um, and so Jack in the present is like, what's going on? I don't get it. I don't understand any of this. Well, it's interesting because, again, we talked about this during Eggtown about whether or not this is urged on by appendicitis or just pure exhaustion behind everything. But when Charlotte tells Dan we should tell them, Jack looks enraged. Yeah, he's like, tell us what? Like, stop playing with us. Yeah, and like, so and stop there's messing around. Also, some fun Charlotte sass here, where Juliet's like, "Shouldn't you be a little more concerned about what happened to the chopper?" And Charlotte just says, "Oh, should I wring my hands together and whisper a prayer on their behalf?" I, I really like them sort of sparring. It'll come to more of a head next episode, obviously, as Juliet is not a fan of the newcomers. But Jack thought this was going to be a guaranteed slam dunk victory for eight one five, and now it's getting more and more complicated, and he's becoming increasingly angry at the whole situation. Yeah, he doesn't like it. Uh, and, you know, they're like, we we don't want to confuse anybody. I love it's going to be a little bit this hard episode, for you to figure out. It's particularly meta in a fun way here, where there's a lot of talk about how, oh, I don't want to confuse you. Oh, this is complicated. They say this throughout the episode. So it's Lindelof and Cuse admittedly saying, yeah, this is a weird idea. But again, this is why the High Wire Act is so incredibly well done. Is that, yeah, 
it's an incredibly complicated concept, and we throw in some bootstrap paradoxes onto it, which we'll talk about later on, just to confound things further. I love paradoxes. I'm so into paradoxes, so uh, none of that's a problem for me. Interestingly, uh, it, I'm, not, I'm not into paradoxes, and you are, which creates a paradox in and it of does, itself. It does uh, but, create a paradox. But, but, but I think that they are lampshading it and trying to do it in a way that is digestible through connecting it through an emotional line. You know, yeah. while, while if you may not understand the time travel aspect of it, you're understanding Desmond's emotional arc through it. And that's what helped grounds you through it. Yeah. So, uh, like, eventually Daniel just starts talking because Ju- Juliet's like, maybe if you talk real slow, Dan, uh, maybe oh, and, we'll and she, get and she it. Call, and, well, she calls him Daniel. She does not go with Jack's nickname of Dan yet. So Dan, very, yeah, we very must that. be grateful This of that. is Dan. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, actually, I prefer Daniel. Uh, and so Daniel says... He, he's talking about how the perception of how long your friends have been gone is not necessarily how long they've been gone. And Jack's like, I'm a doctor and I have no idea what the hell you're talking about. Technically, uh, as was pointed out uh, in the chat, technically all four of them are doctors in a manner. Yes. Yeah, all four of them have a doctorate, at least. Yes. Yeah, so they all, you know, they should be primed like they have like the brains to like process this. But it is just a lot. And Faraday's like, look, it'll be fine as long as they flew on the bearing that I gave to Frank. And they're like. And if they don't fly on that bearing, then Faraday goes, there might be some um, side, side effects? effects, a couple side effects with that with that head tilt like, oh, uh, there might there be might s- be some side effects. And one of those side effects, I mean, maybe it was a little bit like uh, getting rabies and that Desmond is fearfully looking at the water trying to figure out where the hell he is. Is that what rabies is like? Rabies allegedly gives you not necessarily a fear of water, but a predilection to avoid water. I had no idea. Yeah, uh, ask Michael Scott. He is the most informed person about rabies that I know. Oh, I had no clue. Uh, but they, they're on the helicopter. Saeed's trying to get Desmond from like, hey, don't jump in the water. <laughs> yeah, because Desmond's futzing with his harness right now. He wants to get He's freaking out. ASAP, but I think you should show Desmond like look down. I listen. You can do a Sawyer if you want to at this moment, but it's a long drop. Yeah, freaking out. Uh, they're able to to stop Desmond from freaking out long enough for Frank to land the helicopter on. Let's meet it, the Kahana. Yes, it's the freighter ah! uh, and a beautiful top down bird's eye view shot. A great story about uh, finding the freighter comes from uh, Gene Higgins, who appeared on The Hatch, a lost podcast by Sammy Roth and Rosie Murphy. Uh, this is what uh, what Gene Higgins said, transcript courtesy of the great Ben behind the curtain, Ben Martell. Damon and Carlton called me up one day and said, we need a boat. And I go, okay, how big? And they said, well, you have to be able to park two helicopters on the back. And I said, guys, it's not a boat. That's a ship. Uh, so I had two. I had six weeks to find a ship. I scoured the island for a ship, and I was coming up empty-handed, and it was getting down to crunch time because real ships have schedules and freight, and they don't just hang around waiting for movies to come along. Then I was driving home one night thinking, oh, my God, I've got to find this ship. There's got to be a way. Wait a minute. My next door neighbor is the guy who works on the navigation systems for the Navy. Oh. I should ask him. So I stopped, bought a six-pack of beer, Nice. Yelled over the fence, I gotta talk to you. And next day, I had my ship. So there you have it. Uh, the power of Dharma beer yeah. uh, brings you the Kahana. That is how the freighter came into play on the show. It's a great story. That is incredible. I should also mention that the name Kahana is Hawaiian for drawing of a line or cutting or turning point. 
And mm. we talked very much about how season four and even this episode in particular is very much a turning point for the way the series is going to go with between the threat that Charles Widmore presents between these new characters that they bring in. And so the Kahana is quite the Kahana for Lost the Series. Absolutely. So uh, it's great to see it. Uh, we will be here for a short period of time eventually. It shall not be here at all. But for now, it is uh, whole enough for Frank to land the chopper on the boat. And look who's here. It's Kimi. Kevin Durand. Kevin Durand. Kahihime. There's Kimi. Is that what we say? We say Kihihime? Yeah, you, I think you try to pull the Eric Matthews, right? And try to, I mean, he basically, uh, Kevin Durand, William Daniels, they're really one and the same, are they not? Kindly old teacher versus, you know, uh, warlord mercenary? I don't know that I can draw this line, Mike, uh, but I, I wish you luck on uh, the runner of Mr. Kimi as uh, <laughs> Mr. Feeney as Kimi. Maybe we'll be able to do it. I don't know. I don't know. Take your uh, seat, Mr. Lapidus. So Kimi's like, Frank, why are you back? And who are these people? And Frank's like, they're from 815. Kimi's like, what the hell? They're not supposed to be here. Yeah, I love it. So this is, I mean, this is not Kimi, really the Kimi that we'll get to know. I mean, there's, there's a smidge of Kimi, right? This is a much lighter Kimi than the Kimi that we're going to get. But there are absolutely shades of the Kimi he's going to be. Oh, absolutely. Considering his uh, seeming leadership, or at least becoming the the voice of the freighter in this moment. We have yet to meet lost the official magazine's favorite person in the world, Captain Galt at this right. moment. So it seems like he's the one in charge. He is a commanding presence. Kevin Durant is just incredibly tall. He has this tank top on with all these arms brandishing tattoos. So he very much seems like a person you do not want to mess with. He's going to be the one that takes control of the situation and basically like, we're going to take Desmond to go see Dr. Ray. You mysterious stranger stay here. And I'm going to go chew out Frank outside of earshot about what he just did bringing strangers on the boat. Right. Because we know that uh, as far as Kimi is concerned, that uh, everyone on 815 has to die. Yeah, they have to so t- torch, like- torch the island, I believe, is what the, the orders are. So part of me is kind of like I'm surprised that Kimi doesn't just like murder these two people immediately. Yeah, well, I, I do wonder to a certain extent if he still needs to like scout out the situation. Granted, they are on his turf but i wonder if maybe he can use he could use them in the moment to get some information out of them as to the whereabouts of 815 and i think there's also the possibility mike and i don't want to like i'm i'm not justifying kimi but i wonder (laughs) i wonder how much is it like the like um the the discombobulated timeline stuff the bearings and everything and flying from the freighter to the island um is there any chance that like it exacerbates some of the really shitty things inside of Kimi and just makes him worse mm. uh, like once he gets to the island? Well, um, I, I wonder if to a larger extent, is it just cabin fever, too? Because, you know, yeah. Red, uh, Redzinski is going to talk no, about it later. Minkowski, I'm talking about another balding man. Uh, no, I'm talking about cabin fever. That's the oh, end of the yeah, season. That's, but Minkowski yeah. talks about this idea of how, you know, he ends up getting discombobulated because he just got bored after a certain extent. It seemed like they've been docked for quite some time. I wonder if that just really aggravates, especially someone as bloodthirsty as Kimi to a certain extent, that he is just ready to be all trigger happy when he actually ends up getting to the island. And so at this point, Kimi has just been raring to go and he is lying in wait right now so that when he does approach as the welcome wagon, he is extra aggro to everything. Yeah, so Kimi wants to, to you know, bring... 
Desmond down to sick bay. He's trying to explain this to Saeed. Uh, he wants the doctor to look at Desmond. Meanwhile, Desmond's freaking out. I'm not supposed to be here. This is a mistake. I'm not supposed to be. Flash, boom, here. here. He's back in 96. No audio cue, no nothing. You're just snapped back in time. Um, and he's still in the middle of uh, all of these exercises and everything. And uh, everyone is is furious with him uh, <gasps> because he's gotten them. Now they on top of all the crunches. Now they got to do this full deep run. Yeah, uh, I, all of this exercise today, all because Desmond can't stop time traveling. And I do love this idea though of running because that's something we know of probably more so of Kate, but Desmond as well. You know, Penny. What in that last conversation chronologically that she's had in Desmond so far basically asks, "Why are you running from me?" why are you going in this race to get his honor back that Desmond is a character who is used to traveling in a manner of speaking. And so I do love the symbology as well of this entire pack has to run because Desmond's used to being on the move in so many ways. Yeah. Um, so uh, that's true. It's a good point. Uh, so all of this is going on. He's like still like trying to figure out what's going on. He's explaining to Billy. I, I was on a boat. Uh, I was in the middle. But that of, song and, hasn't come out yet, brother. The, middle, the Lonely yeah. Island. Did you say island? The island. Yeah. Andy Samberg. Uh, and he's like, I was on a boat. Uh, was there anyone you recognize there? And he he remembers the photo. He remembers mm-hmm. the photo of Penny. Uh, so he knows that Penny was there. And he's like, all right, I have to call her. I have to I have to get in touch with Penny. And so Desmond's already acting very erratically here. Mike, uh, the, the show never fully explains why Desmond went to jail and everything mm-hmm. like that and his dishonorable discharge and everything like that. Do we think that it's this? Do we think that it's like it's Desmond is going to like bail from from uh, from his his role here that he is like going to go to Oxford. He's going to go and find Penny. And then eventually he has to come back. He went AWOL. Um, yeah. Is this going to be the thing that got him thrown in, in prison? It's a good question because he does say that he wanted to visit Penny because he had two days leave. The question is, does he pursue that during his, I don't think we even needed the mention of two days leave. I agree with you that I think the most logical theory is that he just straight up goes AWOL, tries to find out when more because he knows how prescient and, and precious time is in this moment moment that he needs to find her ASAP and so he sacrifices his role in the army to pursue essentially becoming sane in the present or in the future but I guess he did technically have leave but that's probably the the simplest Occam's razor let's let's go with that theory otherwise yeah I think that that's the easiest thing to canonize I think for me it's for me personally it's hard to square up the events of this episode uh with with it being an exception to the whatever happened happened rules. Yeah. I, I have to interpret the constant as if all of this always happened. And that like aspects yeah. of Desmond as to why he can never like really fully adequately explain himself to Penny or to anybody else is because he has these like laps of memory, these laps like he can't explain some of the things he's done. He just has these feelings about what he's running toward and what he's running away from and all of that. I think like her calling him on Christmas Eve, it doesn't make sense to me unless this always happened. This was always yeah. something. It, you know, Desmond Hume will be my constant being in Faraday's journal. That doesn't make sense to me 
unless all of this always happened. And that helps to explain why Faraday's crying and confirmed dead because he's had this experience with Desmond. He knows that something like this is coming in, in his future and his own like self experimented time addled brain. Um, I have to interpret the constant as if whatever happened in the constant happened. Yeah. I mean, let's go back to what we talked about in flashes before your eyes. Cause I still think this holds with my whole micro versus macro stuff where maybe in 1996, maybe this version of Desmond tries some different things than maybe the the series of events that that might have happened in a previous line. But that conversation with Penny is always going to happen. He's always going to get her phone number. And maybe Penny, after just being so broken by what happens and the, the frightful state of seeing Desmond, who knows, maybe Charles Widmore, who might know some stuff about the island, encourages Penny to approach Desmond in a different way and not make mention of what he's undergoing mentally, knowing that the island could have effects with that and maybe there's some odd dealings going on. Interesting. Who's who's to say? But I completely agree. I think that it completely falls apart if you do not say that Desmond experienced this. And that's the reason why, you know, he's going to bring this up later to Faraday of, oh, yeah, is it, uh, you possibly didn't remember our meeting because of a, a memory loss. And Faraday says, oh, yeah, why? Oh, yeah, like that's really believable. But in this show, it is. I think traveling between multiple time periods using your consciousness is bound to screw your head up. I think so. In many, many different ways. So I think it's okay. We even forget sometimes our own things that we do in the past, no matter how magnetic they may be. And we're not the ones jumping through time. So I think it is absolutely logical that Desmond went through all this stuff, a form of it at least, in 1996 and just various events who knows maybe jimmy lennon cracked him in the head with a cricket bat shortly after this again and now he forgot all about it well this is why i love the desmond story and why i said before i love a paradox i think the desmond story is a paradox Mm -hmm. you know i think that there's a lot of chicken and the egg qualities to 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 desmond of like um you know no, that was he last go- week, Josh. That was chicken in the egg town. That was chicken in the egg town. Oh god, that chicken RIP. Oh uh, no, damn. <laughs> enjoy your breakfast. Um that I I think that there is this aspect to the story where it's like where does it where does it start and where does it end? It is just on a loop. That idea has long been a really fascinating notion to to me and it's one that I that I constantly uh, constantly mm. uh, am am finding myself drawn back to. Um Desmond remembers Penny being in this, you know, this this moment in the future that he keeps pinging back uh ping-ponging back and forth with. So he goes to the payphone to call her. He gets a coin out, he drops it, he bends over to pick it up and boom, snap, he's back on the freighter. He lost uh, his he lost his change. He's penniless he now it. in he's many ways. <laughs> yes. So he he drops it uh and here's Kimi to to pick him up. And so Kimi and Omar uh are going to introduce themselves to Desmond and uh by extension introduce Desmond to a fellow traveler who may or may not be experiencing some of what Desmond is experiencing. Let's listen in on sound number 1. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Watch your step. Watch it. Watch your step. Take it easy. Abu here. This, this, this is Lamed. You are here. And this is happening. Look, we're going to take care of you. Whoa, whoa, what am I doing here? It's all right. It's supposed to be. You're going to be okay. Who are you people? Well, my name is Kimi, and this is Omar. I'm from Vegas, and he's from Florida. But as for where we are, we last port in Fiji. So at least we know we're still in the Pacific.
So you just relax, okay? And we're gonna go get the doc, and he's gonna wanna ask you some questions uh, to help us sort all this out. What do you mean sort out? Wait a minute. What do you mean? I'm supposed to be here! I'm not supposed to be here! Open this door! Open this door! Hey! 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 Yes, Johnny Five is alive, and so is Minkowski. Oh God, uh, I love it's happening. It's happening now. Um, <laughs> yes, so uh, we've got Florida man Kimi. Oh yeah, no, well, um, no, Kimi's from Vegas. Omar's from Florida, which we oh, should also. God. Which there's also a very fun moment later on where Saeed like has Omar and is about to punch him, and I can imagine that there's a piece of dialogue where Saeed's like, you know, I once killed a man named Omar. Yeah. Oh, that's right. I'd forgotten. Yeah, about that's, that's that. who he killed in the Greater Good. Mm-hmm. No, yes. no, I believe he, this is no. That's the person he killed in solitary to help Nadia, to help Nadia yes. escape. Yes, that's correct. Um, it is really unsettling to see Kimi in this circumstance. Like this is probably like the kindest Kimi we get. No, right. other than like at the moment where like we see the delight he takes in making eggs. I was gonna say he makes eggs for Saeed. That's that's a nice thing. But yeah, and this is the great part about Kimi. And again, why I love how cartoonishly OTT he is is because he is this handshake with like a blade secretly in the sleeve, Assassin's Creed style that will stab. And he's like, "Hey, let me tell you where I'm from. Here's my quick bio. We're just gonna help put you in the sick bay." But I think that, you know, considering how they have Minkowski strapped down, I think they're more so like, let's dispose of the crazy guy, deal with the other mysterious stranger here, and then get back on our mission to kill everyone on this island. You know, it's got to be, it's a very big freighter. There had to be another place he, they could have stashed Desmond uh, other than with Minkowski. Especially if, like, Minkowski is as volatile as he is right now. And maybe, like, you know, as we're, like, headcanonizing why, like, it would make sense uh for kimi to like keep desmond alive rather than just off him well maybe there's the one that's like yeah we're hired by widmore we're being told to like keep desmond safe um but Mm. also but also uh that like some shit's going down with minkowski you know stuff's going to be going down with regina shortly as well right then maybe there is this idea of like we should keep desmond around for a minute because like if this keeps happening, we should probably be tracking what's going on so that we right. can explain it. It doesn't happen to us. Right. And so that's why I think they do legitimately get the doctor. This is not like an excuse of, OK, we're just going to lock you up. But I think to that point, they could see it as an ap- epidemic breaking out. Desmond is once again in quarantine this time and blazoned across the door. And it just so happens right. that now he, they're sort of trapped together in this room. So I, I do think they legitimately want to pursue it but i also think that it's sort of let's lock these people away and have the doctor deal with it while we sort out other matters on the kahana yeah by virtue of this episode not having enough lvp candidates and because of my tradition i shall be giving minkowski an lvp uh point this episode uh but i i hate to do it because i really love fisher stevens in this role in this episode. I think that he's another reason why this episode is so great. Um, because there is just like, you're seeing someone spiraling out lost in their life mm-hmm. and the way in which that can drain you and take you out. Um, I think is, is really, really, uh, spectacularly done. Yeah, I think that it's interesting. I, for some reason, thought that we get more Minkowski. We're going to get him and meet Kevin Johnson, but I think that's it. 
I think Fisher Steven gets, gets the one-two punch on Lost, with the exception of obviously his voice appearing in season four. You know, as as someone who loved the movie Hackers in a very unironic way, uh, I, I really enjoyed seeing Fisher Stevens here. I think he does a very fun job sort of playing that panicked person. And he's, he's pretty seminal in here as well in that I think Faraday is going to... Uh, oh, yeah, and of course, he does appear in season six, too, as Desmond's driver. But I guess more so in the in the main timeline. Uh, I, th- I think that he is is sort of an anchor to Desmond, at least in this moment, as serving as the test case of what can go wrong. Essentially, he's the future version of Desmond on a, an alternate path where Desmond doesn't call Penny. That's how Desmond winds up. And so I think Minkowski serves as that role. And I also think he's a Fisher Stevens just plays it in a very fun way between how giddy he is about being on his Ferris wheel versus like how frightened he is when he dies. The fact that he's covered in sweat the entire time, too. And the fact that you end this act, this they were two for two in act closers during this episode. Now, as we cut to this crazed looking sweaty man strapped down to a gurney saying it's happening to you, too. Desmond is now looking in the face of the man he might become in five minutes, five hours, five days. And it is frightening. Yeah. Um, all right. So we we leave all of what's going on there. We go to the freighter and Kimi is reaming Frank out. Dude. He's, just, he's reading, reading Frank for filth. Yeah. Uh, well, it's interesting because I like seeing things through uh, through Saeed's eyes here because we get a couple of wordless shots where we get someone looking through binoculars, which I feel like is very evocative of the freighter in general and spying on the island. We get that big ass satellite dish revolving around which is obviously going to come into prominence much later on and like you said we now have kimi chewing out frank really highlighting okay these people are up to something and we don't know it yet in us being in saeed's shoes i really like experiencing the freighter through saeed's eyes in particular because as we've talked about he is probably the most logical character at this point that i think he really is an audience analog yeah absolutely uh so he's gonna come to Saeed. frank and saeed are gonna talk and uh, Saeed's like, so what, what's going on with Desmond? Like, what is all of this? Remember, Saeed, uh, once upon a time said, I believe what I can see. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and I think that that's going to be really important to the way this episode plays out. Um, I, can, I believe what I can see. And I can see that my friend is unwell. And Frank's like, yeah, we don't really know what's going on. Uh, <laughs> but I'm going to try and help you out with this because, like, this Kimi guy sucks. Uh, and you guys are clearly cooler than Kimi. Um, so they're going to make a trade. Uh, yes. Saeed's weapon for a phone. Yeah, uh, I did find it interesting that Saeed sort of weaponed up when they left the chopper. I guess he was really prepared for anything. But good up. Frank now has a gun in his hands to, to do something with in exchange for just letting Saeed make a phone call. I guess the question is, after that conversation, oh, no, they don't. After that conversation, do you think they trade back? Because eventually the sat phone is going to make its hand its way into Desmond's hands. Or do you think now Frank just has a gun permanently? I don't have a, I don't have a memory for it. So uh, hard, hard for me to say. I'm, I'm sure that this gets clarified later on. But uh, the all of the lost is giving me the nosebleeds as mm-hmm. well. Um, but Saeed now has the phone and he's going to call Dr. Jack. And he's like, OK, thank God. Saeed, why have you? He's like, listen. We don't have time to talk about the disparity in day and night. Desmond is sick. Something happened. And Faraday's like, sick? Like side effects? Uh, and so he's going to need to to talk to, to Desmond. Uh, has, he's going he's gonna to ask Jack, has Desmond recently been exposed to high levels of radiation or electromagnetism? And Jack and Juliet just gawk at each other. 
you just saw the sky light up purple. That's gotta be something. You could have brought that up. Did, did nothing happen in season three where Desmond's like, let me tell you what happened after the hatch imploded? I'm, I'm so surprised how Jack has no answer at the moment as to whether Desmond may or may not have come into contact with electromagnetism. Yeah, they have no explanation as far as like the purple sky. Like maybe that had something to do. Didn't he turn a key? I don't really remember. Mm, I'm not sure. Listen, I was gagged at that point. I was about to meet this one, and that was a whole entire adventure. But no, not really. I can't really think of anything that happened with Desmond and electromagnetism. His I can't kid, quite recall. His, his feelings haven't been hurt for three years straight. Yes, uh, <laughs> his feelings have been in agony uh, for for three years straight. Uh, so Daniel says that sometimes people get confused going to and from the island. This is an amnesia. This is something else. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. we're we're really going to send we're sensing that confusion right now. But we are going to literally experience it. I mean, we get it firsthand, right? Because we cut to Minkowski doting away, going on a Ferris wheel, and then coming back. He's not confused though. He's very giddy. Yes. Uh, he's like, mm, the Ferris wheel is cool. He's not like Wario at the carnival. No, uh, certainly Remembering not. the carnival where, where he died, although perhaps Minkowski, uh, maybe Minkowski and Wario are one and the same. Oh. It's possible uh, that when Wario recalls the carnival uh, at which he passed away, that this is uh, translating to Minkowski. Minkowski. Kwaski? Minkwaski. <laughs> uh, this is a very deep cut joke. And this for... is how like, Wario starts losing his, his hair because mm-hmm. he's so stressed out. He becomes yes. more gaunt, not the captain. Yes. yes. Uh, this is a very deep cut joke for the patrons of Post Show Recaps. Uh, if you want to know more about Wario dying at a carnival, consult the Patreon. I was going to say consult your doctor, but there may be <laughs> side effects. <laughs> side effects? Uh, so uh, Dr. Ray shows up and Mikasa's like, see, I'm not crazy. It's happening to this guy, too. Uh, I love and, I love the dialogue yeah. where Dr. Ray goes, and how are you feeling? Desmond goes, what the bloody hell is going on here? Just a complete, you know, Dr. Ray, unlike Jack, trying to have good bedside manner, and Desmond's just not having it. He is OTT mm-hmm. right now. He's OTT. He's not into it. Uh, what do you think about Dr. Ray? I, I really don't like him in this episode. It is unfortunate he's going to end up being one of um, K- Kimi's very merciless kills later on. But I'm really not a fan of him here. As much as he tries to, much like Kimi, take the really nice approach to this patient, he ends up having losing a lot of patience for him, for in his patience, ironically enough, later on. So I, I do not necessarily think the good doctor is very good in this episode. No, probably not. But he's like trying to help Desmond through all of this. Desmond's understandably, he's quite upset. Uh, he's got this sedative, and he's like, you're not going to stick me with that. I'm, I don't know why I'm here. I'm certainly not here to just be jabbed with needles. Yeah, I, I did that uh, for three years, and I'm still not sure. He <laughs> doesn't remember it. He doesn't remember it. And uh, Dr. Ray wants Desmond to tell him the last thing he remembers. Flash, bang, back to the payphone. And again, this is why the editing is so great is because every single time is different. You know, Desmond got cut off mid-sentence before, but he still finished his sentence. This time it's Dr. Ray speaking. It's not always going to be something that Desmond does. That changes things. And now he's just immediately taken out of it. And I would have loved to see like Desmond in the present, how that happens, right? Does he just does do his eyes go wide? Does he collapse after that? But he gets cut off mid word. It's just such a fantastic way to transition mm-hmm. us all the way back to 1996. 
Yeah, because I mean, I think what we, we, you know, we've been talking about how this is an episode that does really compelling things with time. Mm-hmm. Um, it does compelling things with time. It does compelling things with sound, and it does really compelling things with people. And it uses people as our segue from time, uh, from from one point in time to another, where sounds usually do the trick. Yeah, uh, where like like audio engineering typically does the trick, uh, and to have that be filtered through humans um, is is really really compelling to me. Um, we're back with Desmond in the phone booth, and let's listen in on the first of two Desmond phone calls with Penny. something Desmond yes he experienced heartbreak mm. one, one thing I loved watching it this time around Josh I watched it on Hulu and when Desmond made the phone call the captions read parentheses European phone ring <laughs> both times and that is now maybe one Great of my name new, for a band European yeah, phone ring one of, one of my new favorite captions now EPR. is European yeah. phone ring yeah, let's start a band after this. I think maybe that's the next evolution of Down the Hatch, Mike, as we keep talking this through. Maybe we need to be a band. Yeah, I think it's you, me. I think it's Chris the Glove. I think uh-huh. we can have the Wand Offers participate if if we want to. Maybe we can we've ask... Got a, we've got a, a good collection already. You yeah. all, everybody cover is going to be pretty easy. We've got... We've, we've got bruce springsteen's We've catalog got a couple down. Of bruce springsteen songs in the books a few lindelofs in the mix Listen, as well it's a better name than dirt spigot that's for sure you know it's not <laughs> i think it'll be good um i i love that scene obviously the big one is coming later in this episode um but i think having this uh as like a as a juxtaposition to where we go later on in the episode is is really is really beautiful and i think it it speaks to this idea of like it doesn't matter where you are in time there is something that like tethers you through mm-hmm. that even back in 1996 he suspects that penny who he is uh no longer with is somebody that could help him is somebody that could make him feel more like himself uh could like restore him back to who he feels he's supposed to be um and there is like this really sad uh, wait for it lost quality in his voice especially on the return trip on the I need you uh, it's just really really like tragically beautiful to me uh, well, I really love this moment a lot and to that point 
Ironically enough, though, as Desmond is trying to find that anchor point, Penny has quite mentally and literally moved, which I think is very pertinent too. that she says, don't bother coming back to the flat, which makes sense because, you know, I believe it was a flash before your eyes says that she moved into his flat. So it makes sense that she wouldn't reside there after they broke up. But she is now out there in the world. And this is at a time when you couldn't really look anybody up online. So Desmond has lost his anchor point. And I think that's going to inform how much farther he has to fall before he's able to make this last ditch gambit and find this person that essentially now he feels like he's drowning. He's trying to reach for this life preserver, but he doesn't know where it is in this vast ocean. And it's going to take him a little while before he finds it. Yeah. Um, All right. So while he's experienced something, in come Frank and Saeed uh, with a phone call to the island. And uh, Dr. Ray does not want Faraday talking to his patient. And Saeed does not want Ray talking at all. Yes. Well, Saeed does not want Ray talking unless he's up against the wall. And so Saeed, you know, despite Kimi offering a nice orientation, Saeed completely uh, breaks the olive branch here by just throwing Ray up against the wall. And Ray, in response, hits the panic button to just send everything into a tizzy. Yeah, so Desmond is now on the phone with Faraday, and Faraday knows the right questions to ask Desmond. Um, and you gotta wonder too for for Faraday, how much is he like sort of like snapping into this moment of destiny as well? Right, right? like how much is this like you know because Desmond is so con- and I know that there's like a lot of like the well, the Faraday and Desmond constant thing doesn't fully pay off, and I think like it depends on like your definition of of payoff like mm-hmm. to what degree. Um, but I think for Faraday here, a way to interpret it is Faraday, who's been and will continue to be so discombobulated, um, is going to have this experience coming up soon. Coming up, where 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 Desmond comes to him at Oxford. And like, is there something about this moment where Faraday is like connecting back? Yes. Of, That's right. This is the guy that helped me figure out how this works. It's happening now. Uh, yeah, and I'm so not, he's. I wouldn't be surprised if shortly after their Oxford conversations, Faraday writes this down in his notebook, especially after Desmond puts the idea in his head that maybe you might be losing your memory in the yeah. future. And so he has this written in his notebook. And for years and years, he says, I have no idea who this is. I have no idea why I wrote this. But it's sort of like how you have a distant memory of something. And it's not until somebody reminds you of something or you see that person that it all clicks together, right? That that sort of kaleidoscope picture comes in, the the focus comes in, you're, you get glasses, essentially, and you're able to see again. I can imagine that's the case with Faraday here, that he's starting to realize Okay, yeah, this was the person who approached me at Oxford. Because, again, he had met it's 1996, Desmond. go yeah. to Oxford, I need you to find me. Like, he's very confident in, like, what Desmond needs to do right yeah, now. Yeah, and so when he has that moment of thinking, I don't think it's him coming up with the idea. I think it's him pulling into his memory banks, realizing what's a touchstone memory for me. Could that have been Desmond, this guy? Okay, now let me do this. And I remember, again, three for three in at closers now. Faraday says, I need you to find me mind-blowing absolutely mind-blowing we knew that this yeah. guy was dealing with the time difference a bit between the island and and uh the the, sh- the ship proper but this is just bananas off the wall that faraday is essentially saying travel back in time find me he essentially has become the doc brown of lost in this one line yeah uh so when we come back from commercial he's like on the beach he's scrambling looking for his journal uh and jack's like you need to like slow down and explain to me what's going <laughs> on here 
and Daniel's like kind of like talking it through and he's like he's like just like sort of ignoring Jack. He's giving Desmond all of these numbers and details and like things that aren't going to make sense. Well, and, and it helps that one of the numbers is 2.342 because considering the numbers that Desmond entered at a computer for three years straight, you think that of those six numbers, just give those out and he can very easily have those at top of mind. Well, we, you know, we've talked before about Jack and his incredible memory, um, but we have to give a lot of props to Desmond as well. Absolutely. Uh, that his memory is incredible for numbers, uh, at the very least. And he is, he is the one who like reconnects like, Oh, Jack, you're the guy, uh, at the stadium. I remember you. So, you know, Desmond's got a really strong memory as well, despite all of the time travel addlement, uh, that occurs. Uh, but yeah, he remembers 2.342. He remembers 11 Hertz and Faraday says above all else if these numbers don't convince me then i need you to tell me that you know about eloise Mm -hmm. and those words come in at the perfect time because kimi and omar burst into the room they get the phone out of desmond's hands there's no immediate consequences for desmond because he's gone boof flash to the past he's back in the phone booth the phone line is dead oh i love nothing's written on his hands just what he's got in his head and it's a little akin to me not necessarily you know one for one to something like wandavision but i do love the transformation of something like the sat phone to the phone in the phone booth right we haven't really experienced that one for one yet but i do love this moment now of okay desmond is now experiencing something in the present that transitions to a similar equivalent back in the past but gulp moment now there's nothing written on Desmond's hand, so you better hope he's got a good memory here to remember these exact numbers to give Daniel Faraday, or at least invoke the name of Eloise. Not only that, but so like now Faraday has to get from here to Oxford. So there's a string of time from the phone booth to the Oxford that's uninterrupted as far as Desmond's like time traveling experience that mm-hmm. he's just back in 96. And so he is very lucky that that's the case, maybe, because he just has a long train ride to remember. 2.342, 11 hertz, Eloise. 2.342, 11 hertz, Eloise. I would imagine that he wrote it down at some point. You know, probably asked for a pen in one of those train maps and was able to to write it down at some point. Or he was just, to your point, rocking back and forth and reciting those numbers the entire time he got to Oxford. Uh, So he gets to Oxford, and who should he see... But uh, Daniel Faraday rocking some like Aragorn hair. Well, I love it because if you look at it, Desmond and Faraday, their hairstyles mirror the other person in the present yeah, timeline. They're switching. And it's I, some quantum leap stuff, except it's only hair that that got swapped. But I love that. That's such a small freaky, detail. Freaky Faraday yeah, is yeah. what we call this. And, and it's, but it informs, though, this idea that they're going to essentially become each other in the future, like how they're they're their fates at this point are inextricably tied to one another. This idea that uh, even their follicles are linked in a certain perspective. I think it's a very fun touch. I don't think Jeremy Davies necessarily rocks the mullet very well. Uh, we do get to see a lot of it because, again, his his cockeyed stare and cocked head stare usually allows us to see that free-flowing mane. We'll only see a little bit more of it back in 1996 anyway. Yeah. All right. So Desmond... And Daniel meeting here at Oxford. Really long scene. We won't listen to the whole thing, but I did want to listen to the meet cute at least. Uh, so let's pull in sound number three when Desmond met Daniel. Um, sorry. Are, are you Daniel Faraday? You are? Uh, sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm a Desmond human. I was told I could find you here. 
I think of just been to the future. Yes, uh, I, I spoke to you there. You, uh, you told me to come here to, to Oxford to find you. You, you. you said you'd help me. Why didn't I just help you there in the future? Sorry? Why would I put you through the headache of time traveling? You know what I mean? It just seems a little unnecessary. And don't you think my esteemed colleagues could have come up with something just a little more believable? Uh, what kind of a prank is that? Time paradox. So uninspired. Set your device to uh, 2.342 and, and make sure it oscillates at 11. You did. This is ridiculous. I know about Eloise. Josh, in another world, unfortunately, Daniel Faraday does get punked. Ashton Kutcher comes out and says, "Ah, (laughs) This guy wasn't from the future. (laughs) Oh, my God. Uh, Yeah, the I don't know. The Jack ass uh, <laughs> stuff is just no. Yeah, Johnny no, Knoxville no comes it's, out, hits him in the yeah. nuts with a cricket bat. <laughs> Something with the maze. Uh, I think like back to our polar bear idea. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's Johnny Knoxville in the polar bear suit running through the the corn maze. Uh, I think is is how that could work. But I love um, again a little bit of meta aspect with Faraday almost talking down to this and being like time paradox, so uninspired. That is great, and also the fact that it's just like a Faraday that like you know the hair is ridiculous, but he's more put together, right? Like yeah. he is, uh, he's he's in in many ways like he's just like he's 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 more coherent he's he's more coherent you know like uh, he yeah. is yeah he has, he has the composure to talk down to a student about one of their assignments yeah you know like he's there he's locked in but then when he hears what desmond has to say um faraday knows that this isn't the kind of thing that someone could just put him up to mm-hmm. and it's a great example of the ways in which certain characters reach this moment of science and faith Right. Like it is um, it's not just man of science, man of faith. It's man of science and faith as Faraday. Here's what Desmond is saying. The facts and the numbers line up. He knows about Eloise and it is like a calculated leap of faith that Desmond is who he says he is. Yeah, I I think that we see here that while we saw a bit of Faraday sort of wackiness in the previous couple of episodes, I think we now see his true passion come through as as we go to his secret lab which is to you know echo your very great point his temple where he has scripture written on the blackboards you know he's he's performing feats right now this is his sanctum this is where he studies and so essentially desmond is consorting with a prophet right now he is being guided by a higher force and he is now talking with someone who believes in that force as well to help guide him down the, the right path yeah, but it is like, uh, which one's the prophet, right? Because yeah. for, for Desmond, it's Faraday. For Faraday, it's Desmond. Um, and so again, it is the, it is the, uh, snake eating its own tail, right? Like it mm-hmm. is this, this kind of idea of just like, 
it's all it's infinity yeah right it is it is this thing that's always looping it's a bootstrap paradox because desmond is going to go flash himself back in time to tell daniel to do this to tell desmond to go back in time and talk to him right so now he is essentially creating this very fragile paradox that is able to at least glean some information from desmond as to how how he needs to do to to proceed forward but you know essentially it's it's appearing you know back in time shooting yourself looper style and then just it's cycling perpetually throughout and of course of all, this of, of all people to trigger this it would be the one and only daniel faraday of okay the only way to solve this for desmond is i need to create a paradox in my life uh i i really love this so there's this question as he goes back to the lab there's the there's the maze in the middle uh and faraday's like yeah i do stuff here that oxford doesn't like um and there's like the question of like why would Faraday not remember this encounter in the future? Why wouldn't Desmond remember all of this is happening? Like all of these questions about like the nature in which all of this works. Desmond's cur- am I changing the future right now? And Faraday's like, no, that's not a thing you can do. Which you can't change the future. Very much uh, something that Desmond realized. He has a, the very same conversation with his mother years slash seasons ago about how you can't change the future. Yeah, with Faraday's mother, exactly. And I think that's another way in which this is a great episode and how it connects to Flashes is the connection between Eloise and Faraday. Mm-hmm. You know, El- you know, Daniel's mother was kind of, quote unquote, helping Desmond through Flashes and now uh, Faraday is here. Um, so I just I love ugh, I love all the people that Desmond's colliding with on this time. Yeah, they're all, they're all freaky, deaky, time traveling people. Yeah. And Desmond's just this poor man that's been exposed to all the quantum leap comparison makes a lot of sense. I also love Faraday talks about, you know, putting on the radiation smock, trying to explain, like, well, I keep it on because for long term exposure. And Desmond so wisely points out, like, well, yeah, but you don't have your head covered. And then for, in that instant, I think maybe Faraday's like, yeah, maybe I should start writing stuff down. because there's, there's, yeah. there's a very good chance I might be having some mental problems after this. I love that that is the thing he chooses rather than maybe I should wear a helmet. No, because you can't keep this mane no, under, uh, yeah, under a bushel, baby. You can't tame it can't tame it you cannot tame it so uh they they have like the the maze they they input the numbers eloise the mouse Mm -hmm. unstuck in time i love the Uh, fact that the laser we talked about its connection to valis i still don't know if that's the name of the novel but we talked about that last week but i also love how the pinkish purplish hue of the laser is similar to the purple sky, purple sky that, we, that yep. we have said sort of triggered Desmond's own time travel impulses. So there's a lot of color theory as well, connecting Desmond's 2004 back to his 1996. And this idea that somehow this color triggers some sort of not even superpower, but ability in people. Yeah. Uh, so Desmond's like, so what just happened in Friday's like, so I sent her to the future. Her consciousness anyway, because uh, she I'm, I'm not going to teach her how to run this maze until an hour from now. Yeah. Uh, and I, I love Faraday saying, here goes everything, uh, yeah. because it also is everything because it does show. I mean, it's very true. This is a very high stakes situation right now where if, if Faraday doesn't prove this experiment to be true, he doesn't then inform Desmond about the constant. Desmond does not get unstuck in time and lost takes a very different trajectory considering Desmond's role in the heart of the island in season six and the fact that Penny is the one to find the Oceanic Six at the end of season four. So really, this is such a pivotal rat-based experiment in the course of Lost altogether. Yeah, so now there's some confusion because now Faraday's just pumped. He's psyched. 
you know, his his life's work has been cracked open. Uh, and Desmond's like, but how does this help me? And Faraday's like, wait, I'm pretty sure you're here to help me. Uh, and so it is again, like sort of this symbiotic thing. Uh, and Desmond is so confused and he still just doesn't understand, uh, why he's here. And before he, they can like continue talking it through any further, Desmond is back in the present. He mm-hmm. snaps back in and he's in the room with Kimi and Omar giving shit to Frank, furious with Frank about giving the phone to Saeed. Um, and, uh, everything is just, is very chaotic. They mm-hmm. say the captain wants to talk to Frank Sizes, and I want to speak to the captain. Well, you won't until a couple of episodes from now. He's still in Australia. Yeah, I love the brouhaha that sort of ensues here. Uh, Dr. Ray. It's crazy because, like, Zaid came onto the freighter, Mike, because, like, he's like, I trust myself more than anybody to be here and just problem solve what's going on. And then Desmond had, like, a panic attack. Yeah, exactly. And so now he's like, okay. It's like, I got to improvise and work with what's yeah. going on. This, this comes whole thing is sort of blown to my, up. to my new friend's safety. Because let's remember, like, Said and Desmond, I can imagine they ran a couple of circles together, but this is really the first major storyline that they've had together. But I do like the fact that Dr. Ray has a rather uncouth comment where they say, oh, we should get him on the phone to talk with Faraday. And he's like, well, Faraday can't even help himself. Like, she's yeah. Dr. Ray. Dr. I mean, Ray hates Faraday. He gets a good hate into Faraday. Yeah, so, uh, so anyone who's here. shipping Farrah Ray, that's not a thing. <laughs> no. Uh, but a Ferrero Rocher, mm, chef's mm. kiss. What a chocolate. Um, quite a chocolate. So Saeed is trying to like get Desmond uh, to like restabilize. He mentions Desmond's name and Mikowski goes, Desmond? And like, yeah, that's Desmond. And Mikowski says, oh, I know that name. Uh, and every so often, like, they're like, how do you know the name? Well, every so often we'd get a, a call mm-hmm. on my console with this flashing light. And we were under strict orders to to never answer the call. And they're like, uh, what? And so Minkowski <laughs> continues to explain. And in fact, let's listen in on the explanation itself. I need to get back. Back where? The island? He said he could help. He said he'd tell me what I needed to do. Desmond, Desmond. Can you please explain to me? Desmond? You're Desmond? Do I know you? I'm George Minkowski. I'm the communications officer. Before they strapped me down here, all the calls to and from this boat came through me in the radio room. And every so often, I get this flashing light on my console. An incoming call. We were under strict orders never to answer it. So, what's that going to do with me? Those calls came from your girlfriend. Penelope Whitmore. Okay, so let's talk... Let's talk through this, because I'm a little confused. Minkowski as Wario saying, Wah! Oh, Minkowski is finally coming back out again. So... Was there, is it just like a, a list that Winmore provides of like, do not talk about these subjects, Penelope Widmore, Desmond Hume? Because I can understand if it's okay, don't accept calls from Penelope Hume. Is it just, is she calling saying, hey, is Desmond there? And you say no. So it's just that he knows the name from her talking about it. Yeah. How, did the, how did Desmond come up in the conversations here? I'm not sure. Uh, well, you, they've got the photo of Desmond and Penny together, right? How much has that been circulated? Right, like, oh, uh, who's this guy? Yeah, who's that? Well, that's Desmond. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, I can imagine, like, you know, Charles Widmore is in charge of this operation. So, like, don't pick up a call from Penny because she wants to just interfere with everything. And if you hear anything about a guy named Desmond, don't, you know, you don't want to, we don't want to do anything with that. That's mm, like, uh, he who must not be named. We do not mm-hmm. mention Desmond on this freighter. Yes, uh, Desmond is... Uh, Voldemort to Charles Widmore's Harry, but it doesn't really no, work. No, but I love this idea, though, of the Kahana ghosting Penny. That Penny uh-huh. kept calling, and they just always put it on decline. Always sent straight to voicemail until that mailbox filled up. Yeah. Um, Alright, let's stop down for a quick ad break. We're gonna throw it to our sponsors. When we come back, we will wake up alongside Desmond at Oxford for some further explanations from Daniel Faraday. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. All right, Mike. So let's go back to Oxford. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's go back to Daniel Faraday and Desmond. Desmond wakes up in a chair. He was unconscious for uh, not quite an hour and a half. Yeah. He's unconscious for like the the length of like uh, a cartoon TV movie. <laughs> yeah, for a made for TV full cartoon length film. cartoon yeah. film, a seventy five minute cartoon TV movie. Oh, I wish films were, were a nice Desmond. That's blip how nowadays. we measure time, right? Typically, I mean, that's that's how you and I measure time. I don't know about anybody yeah. else, but that's all that matters. But yeah, it, it seems to be also the ratio is growing right now. Essentially, Desmond was in two thousand four. For about five minutes, roughly. And now he's been out in 1996 for about 75 minutes. And so Faraday believes that the amount of time that he's out is exponential, which means it's going to be harder and harder to get back. So the, the essentially, I guess the less it's, he's going to be out for longer gaps in 96, even if he's spending shorter amounts of time in 2004. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh- I I don't know how many times I've watched Lost. I can't wrap my head around that completely, but that's great. I love it. Um, yeah. Eloise is dead. Just think, just think of it, Josh, like a a tear that's growing, where it starts really small, right? Where like two sides of a piece of fabric are right next to each other, and as the tear grows, the two pieces of the fabric become further and further apart. That's essentially what's happening. Eloise is dead. No, she had a brain She's aneurysm. She's short, brain she aneurysm. she short circuited, and Fisher Stevens pops in like, "Yes, you yes. rang." Eloise is dead. Brain aneurysm again. For lack of places to put LVP points this week, I unfortunately have to give it to the dead mouse. You monster! I know you Eloise hate animals dead. between the chicken last week and the mouse this week. Yeah, 
I have to give uh, this is two weeks in a row now of dead animal LVP points. Yeah, I don't think I don't that's know. That means next Lost week. is doing great. Lost is doing great, <laughs> except not when it comes to PETA. Um. All right, and so Des was like, "So am I? Am I gonna die? Am I gonna get a brain aneurysm? What's going on?" Um. And Faraday is going to explain a little bit more about like what's going on and what Desmond needs to do in order to not die. And let us find out why this episode is called "The Constant." What happened? Oh, you're back and. Uh... Out almost 75 minutes. Out? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You just oof, you went catatonic right in the middle of a sentence. I had to carry you to the chair. So, I take it you were, you were in the future again? Aye. For how long? I don't know. Five minutes. Why does this keep happening? Uh, in your case, I'm guessing the progression is exponential. Each time your consciousness jumps, it gets harder and harder jump back. I wouldn't be careful crossing the street if I were you. What happened to her? She died. Yeah, I can see that. How? Brain aneurysm, probably. I don't know. I'm going to do an autopsy later. Is that going to happen to me? The effects seem to vary from case to case, but... uh, If this keeps happening, am I going to die? I don't know. I think Eloise's brain short-circuited. The jumps between the present and the future. She eventually, she couldn't tell which was which. She had no anchor. What do you mean, anchor? Something familiar in both times. All this, see this, this is all variables. It's random, it's chaotic. Every equation needs stability, something known. It's called a constant. Desmond, you have no constant. When you go to the future, nothing there is familiar. So if you want to stop this, then you need to find something there. Something that you really, really care about. That also exists back here. In 1996. This constant. Can it be a person? Yeah, maybe. But you'd have to make some kind of contact. And then you say you're off on a boat in the middle of nowhere? Uh, who are you calling? Calling that bloody constant. And I remember, Josh, when I was watching this, and I'll talk later about how my viewing experience like seminally affects my uh, general attitude towards this episode. When yeah. that one shot happens with Desmond walking down the staircase. Running down, yeah, running down the stairs and then just duping over. We, yeah. like, the room I was in gasped because we're like, um, that's not good. Luckily, he catches himself in 2004. Not so much in 1996. That poor head probably got banged up a little more. Every equation needs stability, something known. It's called a constant. Josh, that's Lost. Lost is a show that's full of variables, that's full of questions that people were more so focusing on when it came to the equation of Lost at the time as to 
you know, who is the smoke monster? What is the island? Who is in the other outringer, etc.? But I think in breaking down the show after all these years, we've realized that what made this equation so beautiful and what you should focus on when you watch the show is not the variables. The variables come and go. The variables can be pontificated on. They can be guessed. They can represent a whole laundry list of values. What matters are the constants. What matters are the characters that are there in time and time out that might have their own variable aspects to it mysteries that we have to figure out how did john Locke get in their wheelchair are jack and claire related etc but we are seeing all the weirdness happening through their eyes we are following them on their journey whether it be to an island from an island through time through a sideways universe and ultimately that is the most important part of the lost equation i think if you ignore the constants in lieu of the variables in life and in Lost, you are fundamentally misunderstanding the point. I have a question. Uh, Desmond says to Faraday, my constant, can it be a person? And Faraday says, yeah, maybe, but you got to make sure that it's there and you can make contact with it. I think if it's me, perhaps uh, I then say like, oh, so people like that's a new idea. So like Maybe should my constant be, I don't know, the sky? Yeah, the planet Earth? The ocean? Water? Just generally water? Yeah. Uh, uh, could my constant be uh, my hand? I, it's here in the uh, past and a, it's there in the future. I think that's a bridge too far. I don't think it could be part of yourself. I don't think you could Got be it. your own constant. <laughs> I think if you, but I think if you chopped off your finger, put it in oh a little God. baggie, I think that finger could be your constant because it's Mike, not on you right now. grim and are you now then assuming that from this moment forward you are going everywhere with your finger in a plastic bag? <gasps> don't you think Daniel Ferry would be like, uh, all right, here's the sign. And he just pulls out this grody-ass figure. This thing's eight years old. It's my constant. No, this withered, shriveled, dead finger (laughs) in a Ziploc bag. Does he change the bag? Nope. Or is the bag a variable? There you go. The bag, the the holding might be the variable, but the finger's the constant. (laughs) Oh, God. The finger is the constant. Um, All right, so Desmond knows who he wants to be his constant at this point in time, but the number's been disconnected. So he is going to to need to track down his bloody constant. And so back on the freighter, Desmond wakes up. He's really ragged. Uh, he's not doing great, but now he's got an action plan. He knows what he needs to do. He needs to call Penny. Uh, and he says to Saeed, I don't know you, but if we are friends like you're suggesting, then I need you to help me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Saeed in this moment is ride or die. And I need to just like stop down for a second and just like, Bravo. Yeah. Saeed Jarrah is just like, I got you. Let's do this. This is our, what else are we going to do? You seem really locked in. The dude on the phone as well. All these people very mad about that guy. And all these people seem like bullshit. This dude over here is not looking too good. The two of you seem to have the same condition. I'm buying in. Let's play this through. Saeed all the way in. And I think Saeed is such a key piece of the constant oh yeah Uh, just like he's just he is he is just an element here that um he is for me like that what we were talking about before of how like there's only two series regulars from season one in this episode um saeed is enough 
uh, as Desmond will say <laughs> to Saeed at the end. Thank you, Saeed. It was enough. Uh, that is how I feel about like what is sort of like the constant component from lost lost's beginning to this moment in time that keeps this in the category of best lost episode ever. I say to that question, thank you. Saeed, it's enough. Exactly. It's enough. Uh, yes, I mean, Saeed, I mean, he literally did ride with Desmond, and now he's preventing Desmond from dying. So he is a, a ride or die. I think at this point, Saeed's just all in on this. I know he came to the freighter for a different purpose, but right now he says, all right, I don't know exactly why you need this, but I'm going to help you along with this. And that feels like a yeah. little bit of a bridge with Saeed, too, right? Like you said, he's the guy who I won't believe it unless I see it. Clearly, he is seeing something i don't know if he's exactly taking desmond at his word at this point but he says i need to help this guy i think des i think saeed who is a bleeding heart romantic does emotionally connect to desmond in that moment who knows maybe he sees a fellow lovelorn soul as saeed is in this moment that he i think that that's a that's a very important thing yeah also i just need to know as a fan of the the barry asai you just said that as as saeed is and i loved that uh, and I, I think that that is a huge piece of why Saeed is such a great ingredient in this episode, because he is he is the hopeless romantic. You yeah. know, he he speaks this language deeply. Um, he you have to imagine that there is an alternate view of the constant told from Saeed Jarrah's point of view where he's thinking about Nadia. Yeah, you know, like exactly. you can imagine you can imagine um his mind going back to her you can imagine for him also probably even like the recent trauma of losing shannon like you can imagine these things that are going through his head he knows what it is to have loved and lost and he knows what it would and feel loved like on lost he would do anything to get that back and i think being able to experience this through desmond is really, really powerful for the character. Yeah, and I think it's, again, it's a nice connection between the two most romantic characters on the show who really haven't had yeah. much at this point. I, th I think it's just a very fun thing about how, while we're talking about constants and connectors, this idea of love can allow these two characters to come together. And so they're gonna try to get out here. You know, Minkowski does say somebody, sab somebody sabotaged the equipment two days ago. We need to get out of here. Oh, wait, the door is cracked open and it's Michael. It's Michael. It's got to be Michael. Michael's doing wait, it. Who? Who is on the boat? Who's oh, the, 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 yeah, the potted plant in the corner? Who could that? Yeah. Could they have been the one to do it? I'll admit, Josh, back in the day, I thought that Michael was going to be the captain. I thought mm. that it wasn't going to be a Captain Galt, that it was going to be because they talk about they haven't seen the captain yet. Uh, you know, we know that somebody's on the boat. I think uh, Minkowski says right now, like, oh, well, you must have a friend on this boat. And you we, must have a friend we here. We get it. It's Michael. Michael is met Saeed. It's his friend. But I thought that for a second they might put two and two together and not only put Michael on the freighter, but make him like the man in charge. Uh, that would have been cool, actually. I mean, they'd have to tell a totally different story in order to make that work. But I think it would have been great. Uh, I think that could have been really, really fun. Yeah, especially um, when it comes to, you know, how is Michael now as the captain going to butt up against what Kimi wants to do? You know, who takes right. precedence? The, the man in charge of the mission. I think it's a good alteration. I like this a lot. I, and I also think then, like, the question, like, who's your man on the boat? 
Ben could give an answer that could like shut that question as like it's the captain of the boat. Yeah. And they're like, oh shit, that seems like a pretty important guy. All right. Well, now we have a man on the boat who's evidently the captain. Oh wait, it's Michael. Yeah, Captain Michael. Uh, yeah. And he does. The and he plant does, is the captain. And he does know how to steer a boat, right? He did it once upon a time. He left the island on a different bearing. Who's to say he I couldn't like steer the I boat like under a different heading here? I think it's a good alteration. All right. So the equipment, the communication equipment, has been sabotaged. Uh, they have a friend on the boat who's letting them out. So what? Like Michael overheard all of this and just like opened the door. I can imagine that there was probably some chatter on board of like, oh man, we got Desmond Hume and that the, that Iraqi guy are on board the ship in the sick bay. All this kerfuffles going on, and Michael might overhear that, like sneak his way over, inch the door open, and then walk away, trying to play both sides right now and still maintain his his anonymity. Correct. Um, so they're gonna they're gonna go out. Coast is clear. Um, meanwhile, uh, Desmond is going to flash again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he wakes up in the stairwell like, "Ow!" Yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh, God! Why didn't Faraday give me his helmet? Yeah. Oh, he didn't have one. Um, he's gonna go to an auction. Uh, and here at this auction, this is, you know, high society bullshit. Mm-hmm. Charles Widmore. The 1% bidding on the manifesto from the Black Rock. One, uh, I believe, uh, is it Magnus Hanzo? Yes. Uh, was the, uh, the relative of, like, Tovis Hanzo, I believe, was the guy who. Uh, so many Hanzos. Too many Hanzos. Uh, so you have to chop yeah. off your Hanzo to put it in a bag for safekeeping. That's the constant. Yeah. And, uh, this manifesto from the Black Rock is up for auction. And so it's yet another clue of Charles Widmore's connection to the island, which, of course, uh, will become much more known in short order, as soon as the other woman. Um, Widmore is doing some bidding. He wins the journal. I love how sees, um, when, when he sees Desmond, actually, if you hear in the background, the next item up for bid is a Dickens piece of mm, paraphernalia, which is interesting yes. given Desmond's own linking to Charles Dickens himself. If only he was listening and he had the money, he would have stopped. Hold on, Charles, for a second. Can I bid on that? I'm a bit of a Dickens head myself. I love it. Thank you. Okay, now back to our conversation in the bathroom. Yeah, so he's going to say, all right, well, let's let's talk. Let's go and have a chat. While I Desmond pee. And, Desmond and Charles Widmore are going to have a conversation. Yeah, while Widmore is peeing, rather rude. Uh, let's listen in, not on the peeing, but the conversation. Your word. Let's have it. I need to get in touch with Penny. I don't know how to reach her and... That number's been disconnected. There was a time when if you'd have asked her to marry you, I'm certain she'd have said yes. Fortunately, there's cowardice one out in the state. I take it you've had second thoughts. And you'd like her to give you another chance. Why do you hate me so much? It's not me who hates you. Here's her address. I'll let her tell you herself. And no, that sound is not Charles Widmore still peeing. He left the water running. <laughs> Could yeah. you imagine if it's just an, a minute log of him just peeing this entire time while talking to Desmond? 
Oh my god. Uh yeah, so that that's great. And like Whitmore is such a dick. Uh this this dude who's already being mean to Desmond, but then like uh, just leaving the faucet on like a jackass exactly. this even, is unnecessary. Even when he does something good in giving the address to Desmond, first of all, I think it's for a bad reason because essentially it's just like, I want to punk on you so bad, Desmond, by having my daughter tell her to your face how much she hates you. But then he's also like, and you could you could turn off the faucet for me. It's fine. What a jackass. And don't give me this line of like, I don't hate you. You know, I'm not the one who hates you. You absolutely hate you. Do we not recall the McCutcheon conversation here? I'm also surprised that Desmond does not go all aggro on Widmore when he says Desmond's trigger word of coward. Because we know that what happened last time when he almost kicked the snot out of Charlie when he called him a coward. Widmore is doing it here. I think he's playing with fire. Yeah, I think so too. But I also think that, um, I don't know. You, you know, I have this pet theory, Mike, of, of Widmore being a little more clued into Desmond's importance mm-hmm. and their reasons for him to like constantly be pushing at Desmond. He thinks maybe by antagonizing him, this is helping to like propel him towards his destiny, right? That's mm-hmm. helping him to like, get closer to the island that's where he needs to be he also knows he's dangerous he wants him he wants him away from penny um that there are like underlying reasons behind all of the ways that he interacts with desmond all of that being said uh does not take away from the fact that he is just a total douche canoe to yeah. desmond and i'm not talking about the outrigger uh <laughs> although maybe he yeah, is he, the he is the other outrigger yeah, uh, it's, it's possible. Uh, but he, you know, he gets all this information from, from Widmore, leaves, uh, Desmond with the water. Desmond snaps back to the freighter. Uh, and Minkowski knows what's going on with Desmond. He's like, yeah, it starts getting faster. It really sucks, man. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we find out what happened to Minkowski that he, they were out there. They were bored out of their mind. They wanted to go and see the island. So he and his buddy Brandon. Uh, <laughs> they went to like they went off course basically and now Brandon's dead in a body bag yeah R.I.P. Brandon should I give Brandon an uh, LVP point I don't know I could give it to Brandon instead of Eloise the mouse I mean for all well, at, least, at least we get to, to see Eloise on screen we don't know who Brandon is maybe Minkowski made up Brandon yeah it's possible. Brandon was on the Ferris wheel. Or, or maybe Minkowski killed Brandon. He was so tired that he just like accidentally struck out in a pure rage and bashed Brandon's head against it's the It's not boat. impossible. It's not impossible. So they get to the communications room. Said sees the sabotage. He needs to do some reparations. This is Michael's handiwork. Thanks, Michael. Appreciate yeah, it. Thanks so much. And then this this fern in the corner just like solemnly nods, knowing his work is done at the moment. Yes. Uh, so uh, Said is going to fix the phone. Um, Desmond needs the number. He doesn't have it yet. Um, but he, he does have a different number and that number is 12, 24, mm-hmm. 2004. There's a calendar on the wall. It's Christmas Eve. And this is the moment that you realize, oh, we're watching Lost's Christmas episode. Yeah. Which is the thing that you and I haven't even talked about yet. You know, however many hours deep <laughs> into this podcast we are. And I think that this is, I'm a, uh, you and I are both Jewish. Mm-hmm. I, I believe, uh, I speak for both of us when we're sucker for, we're suckers for Christmas oh, content. I very think great much so. Christmas content. Um, you know, I, I, I am the, I, am I the asshole who loves Christmas music? Yes. Uh, it's incredible. It's just, no, it's, it's, just a, it's, a, it's a time of year 
that's evocative for me. So it just gets me nostalgic and makes me think about stuff. And so I love that Lost has a Christmas episode. And it's really no surprise to me that sort of in the great tradition of like the British dramas, British television, that Lost has this really special Christmas episode. Yeah, I mean, it is, like we said, so distinctly different from everything else that it does feel like the Lost Christmas special. Uh, and yeah. now we're not talking about the George Lucas thing that, that they ended up not uh, airing. But it is interesting. You know, this, it takes place on Christmas Eve 2004, aired the last day of February 2008. So, you know, you're already doing some time traveling there, but you forget that this is also 2004. I think that we are so far ahead in time chronologically that we don't think, oh, yeah, they're still back in 2004. And theoretically, only about three and a half months, actually only three months have passed, right? Jack gave the exact date, September 22nd, 2004. Only three months have passed over the course of three seasons and change. And a lot has happened. Correct. Uh, So uh, he's got the calendar. It's almost Christmas, so he'll be able to at least like give. I didn't get a gift. Mm -hmm. So he's almost got like a moment in time to tether to Penny. So the plan is coming together. Meanwhile, the possibly uh, the worst possible outcomes are manifesting themselves in the form of George Minkowski, who is tweaking out, bleeding out. Uh, he's uh, it's 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 not good. Yes, his, his final words are, "I can't get back." I can't get back. I have to go back. I can't get back. Minkowski, R.I.P. And yeah. Saeed says, what happened to him? Desmond says the same thing that's going to happen to me. Well, at least choose more original final words, Desmond. Okay, don't go out also saying I can't get back. You don't want to go out as a copycat. All right, so we flash back. Desmond is in the pool of water uh, in the bathroom. Has nobody uh, walked a, in and checked in on this guy? It's a gross place to wake up. Uh, he wakes up on the bottom of the bathroom floor in the pool of water. He gets up. He's got Penny's address. He goes in seek of Penny. He goes in search of Penny, and he finds her. And we're in the stuff now. You know, we've yeah. got two real major emotional beats left in this episode two sounds left to play i'll give you two guesses as to which sounds we're gonna play we're gonna play one right here as desmond and penny have their first face-to-face in the episode desmond what are you doing here i had to i mean i I tried to call you but you, you disconnected your phone yeah because i moved I don't know if you're getting the signals, Desmond, but I'm trying to make a clean break from you. So if you don't mind, I'm going to... Wait, 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 Ben, please, mate. I just, I just need to get your new phone number, okay? Why would I give you that? Because I, I made a huge mistake. I, I should never have broken up with you. And I, uh, I, 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 know, I, I know that now, and, I, and I'm sorry. And no, don't. Just don't dare I, I understand. And I, I know it's, it's too late to change things, but I need to tell you something. I, I need you to listen to me. And look, I, I know it's going to sound ridiculous, but please, Ben... I need you to listen to me. Just say what you need to say and then go. I know this doesn't make any sense because it doesn't make any sense to me. But eight years from now, I I need to call you and I can't call you if I don't have your number. What? Look, Penny, just just give me your number. I, I know I know I've ruined things. I know you think things are over between us, but but they're not. If there's any part of you that still believes in us, just just give me your number. Come 
was to say you wouldn't call me tonight or tomorrow? I won't call for eight years. December the 24th, 2004. Christmas Eve. A promise. Please, Pam. If I give you the number, will you leave? Seven nine four six. Oh eight nine three. Seven nine four six. Seven nine four six. All that, and you're not going to write it down. It wouldn't do any good. You have to keep that number. You can't change just the number. Get out! Get out! Just, just, just remember, December the twenty-fourth, two thousand and four. Look, Ben. If, if you still care about me, you have to answer. I'm not crazy, Penny. You have to believe me. You have, you have to trust me. Ah, I can't. The, I can't. This I can't. It's it's this scene is incredibly well written. There's so many deep, meaningful lines. When Penny says, "I don't know if you're getting the signal," Desmond. When Desmond tells Penny, "It's too late to change things." It works on so many levels because not only speaks to how he can't undo the harm he did to their relationship, but what Eloise and Daniel have told him about how it's, it's, it's too late to change things. Going back to this idea of faith, Desmond pleads with her saying, if there's any part of you that still believes in us, this core tenet of belief that no matter what trials you have been through with someone or something, you still have ties to them. You still believe in them at the end of the day in the core of your heart. And that means something that says something. I know that the last scene, the last song we're going to play, I think understandably so gets the much bigger kudos from a more macro perspective. But I think this scene is incredibly it's underrated. So it's incredibly underrated. And it's so essential, you know, it's such a beautiful, it's such a beautiful, uh, it's the happy sad masks, yeah. you know, comedy, tragedy, you know, drama and tragedy. Like, it's just, it's that, it's that balance of this is like Penny in this moment of like, I'm so upset with you. Like, you, will you, you know what also, like, if you think it through in terms of plot, is this not the moment where Penny kind of turns potentially, right? Mm. Like, Penny's going to start writing him letters. Yeah. Pe- Penny is going to seek him out in Los Angeles. Exactly. Uh, like Penny's never going to give up on him. Never going to let you down. Uh, you know, but, but he's, he's going to run away and desert her. That's for sure. Yeah, he rickrolls her for sure. <laughs> uh, but he, you know, the, this is the moment where uh, I think because of this and the whatever happened happened of it all. This is a moment where where Penny's faith in Desmond is big, like that cup that's empty is starting to refill. Right. It is really, really beautiful. And it's obviously at like its top most speaking of like water. And that is the metaphor, right? Like the cup is full in the next scene when he, when he has the number memorized, Saeed has fixed the phone and he's able to make the call. Yeah, I uh, totally agree. It's this idea that, because remember in flashes for your eyes, Desmond broke up with her out of nowhere and she was devastated as a result. This to her Though muddled in these weird time travel shenanigans is telling her he does still care at the end of the day. And you 
still care. And I do think that if we talked about water, let's talk about fire. I think she thinks that flame has been doused, but there has been a lone spark in the darkness of her heart at this moment. And I think Desmond's visit, as much as she slammed the door in his face, was starting to build. We'll get a scene in a little bit where Desmond in 1996 is walking, looks up and sees Penny through the window and she does close the curtains, but she does go off to look at him. I think I totally agree. I think this is the scene where it this makes it. where it makes her realize like yes there is there is some fate that ties me to Desmond David Human even though he broke up with me and just left me absolutely heartbroken in the past. There is something that tells me that he is my future and I I need to keep in communication with him. I need to keep this timeline going by doing what Desmond said and keeping this phone number in however many years, you know, eight years later, he said he would do this as weird and cockamamie as it may be. I'm going to believe it. I'm going along, going to go along with this because damn it, he does the weirdest stuff, but I love me some Desmond David Hume. All right, Mike, let's do this. Huh? Uh, so right. uh, Saeed uh, responds to Desmond saying, you have to trust me by saying, I do trust you. Uh, he's repaired the phone. He hands it to Desmond. Let's hope for both our sakes. She picks up. Desmond makes the call and history is made. Here it is. No matter what. I'll come back to you. I, 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 I love you. I promise. I love you. 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 I
I'm sorry. Power source went dead. That's all we have. You are perfect, Desmond. You and Petty are perfect. That scene is perfect. This episode is it's perfect. The, it's, the be- it's the best scene on Lost, for sure. Yeah, I mean, it is. Oh, God, it's just so. Hard. That's the best scene it's, of it's the so, show. It's so heart, not heart-wrenching, rent- heart-rendering. It is heart-wrenching for a second when we hear a parentheses European phone ring one too many times, <laughs> right? And you're like, oh, my God, after all this. And when... God, when she picks up the phone each and every time, like I do a little jump inside in, in excitement that she actually did this. Because let, let's remember, at this moment, Desmond's storyline on the island has been a series of misconnections. He goes on the boat, loses contact with Penny for three years. We find out that she's been trying to search after him. He's right there in through the looking glass. He's right on the outside of the room. But Charlie shuts it off to to save him and save everybody so that he can talk with Penny. These two have been star-crossed lovers who have not been able to to talk to each other, to hear each other's voices. And uh, it finally happens. Yeah. God, and it's, yeah. it is so good. It is so evocative of everything they wanted to tell each other in this moment i mean i could i could list every line i loved about this exchange but it would be every single line but i think for me the time that makes me always break is when penny when you know when he picks up and says penny and when she responds with desmond and her voice breaks instantly like that's when i break i broke this time listening to it it's just like it's because she is so like it finally happened. This is something that she thought was impossible and she had been doing fruitlessly for so long. It finally happened. This dream, this helicopter dream has become a reality and granted it'll, it'll be a while before they actually see each other, but they actually get to get to speak with one another. Desmond professes his love for Penny because let's remember their last conversation did not go so well right that was his I have to go get my honor back and they left each other on a really awkward note when you're getting married Penn and now Desmond says all right now I can finally tell you I've always loved you I'm so sorry I love you he cannot stop saying it he says Penny you answered you believed me he is in absolute disbelief that this happened and for me the the best touch is the way that it ends because Josh, we talked about how his consciousness had been stretching, bouncing back and forth, elongating time. What a better way to end Desmond's series of events with him elongating time than him shortening time. You notice as the conversation lingers along, it's like a rubber band. It snaps back. We're now we're getting quick cuts between the two of them. They're interrupting each other's sentences mid sentence. They're that excited. And then they converge on one singular point on one singular constant. I love you. That 
is their through line. That is their kahana. That is their message. And I think it is beautifully done. Again, another fantastic work of editing that they hurry the pace along. Maybe they know that they're being cut off. But in an episode that has frequently flashed between different locations and different timelines, they conclude Desmond becoming unstuck in time in that exact same way with those three words bringing him back to 2004. I think for me, um, it's such a it's such a it is like the Ferris wheel that Minkowski's talking about. <gasps> it's like the ride. You know, there's different there's different points where like you get you're getting different views of the scene. And um two two that really stand out to me um are when the call starts to break up mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you're like the first time. Yeah. And it feels like it's over before it even started. Um and that's that's not it. You know, she she just they need to reposition, get a better signal. That's better. That moment kills me because it's sort of just like quiet and like very like um, nonchalant human relationship type stuff. You know, like it is just like a it's like it's like a just a total aside, basically. Asaid. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh, the yeah, the, the the relief. Yeah, the relief when like the call didn't bleep out yet because they still have more to say right because because desmond's someone whose life has been tied to tragedy at this point right he has had so many his fate has been that's what flashes before your eyes said right eloise hawking told him like for the sake of things you have to live out this tragedy for once he finally gets triumph in this moment and it is a relief yeah um and so that 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 happens like they get they they still have more to say and so you know when the call ends and they just get to like pepper each other with all of the I love you's I love you's I'll keep looking I promise they can walk away from that call both of them satisfied it's a win yeah exactly you know, they got it um the thing that gets me every time uh is when um ugh, there's so much yeah, uh, yeah, there's, there's that there's there's that but there's like the very clear fact that as soon as penny says hello that it's 2004 Desmond yeah again, and, for sure. and I love but. the choice in that moment to cut back to 96 as 1996 Desmond walks away from Penny's new flat and he has a smile on his face and I want to believe that was the the divergence that's when right. his consciousness goes back to 2004 and even though 1996 Desmond he thinks in that moment like I did something I helped myself down the line and he is almost like waving goodbye to his 2004 self where they were riding together in this cockamamie motorcycle. He has now dropped off 2004 Desmond and he's also just smiling because he got to see Penny who he truly loves and had to break up with for unforeseen reasons. Yeah. So I love, I love that piece of it. Um, and I really lose it at the end. And I'm not talking about the, I love you. I love like, obviously, right. It's it's when the call is over and you're the camera now shifts to Saeed, who's apologizing. Mm-hmm. And it is like this realization that somebody just watched that happen. And I think it's so perfect that it's Saeed. Yeah. Uh, and that that exchange of uh, from from Desmond and, and Saeed 
this is like this is pre-flash sideways stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, we are. You know, we are doing this podcast live, and we have people listening in and commenting. And the great Brendan Fitzpatrick just says it worked, and it is like that moment. Um, you know what Juliet says to to Sawyer, mm-hmm. but like done so much better, and just it's so pure, and it's that first version of like it worked. They connected, and. Saeed being the person who's like sort of in the audience's seat of having watched it and like the look on Naveen Andrews's face of him like realizing that maybe just maybe I'll find Nadia almost yeah. like maybe there's hope for all of us. And she will find that happy ending in a manner of speaking. Well, for a time, at for least. A time, but, but that also might push him to, to leave the island as well. This idea of I am someone who thought my life was conscripted to tragedy that in a manner just like many people say this island is here as my punishment as my penance to pay but there are happy endings that can exist here and maybe that's a reason why i should go out there and find my special someone for that portion of time but i know it's being talked about in the chat especially from the great ben behind the curtain who is in here it it was enough is also like really gets me every time as well because it's so simple the words are so weighty as well of, okay, I didn't get to see Penny, but I just got to talk with her. I got to tell her. I got to pour my heart out to her. The, and that was a line delivery of thank you, Saeed. Mm-hmm. The word Saeed, because that tells you everything. He's back. Yep, exactly. He and remembers he's who set, he is. He's rebalanced. He's recalibrated. It was enough. Uh, and I am perfect. Like, have we seen anyone on the show have a more pure win? Like the closest to it that comes to mind is uh, uh, Jack contacting the freighter in the first place. Right. But this is even purer than that because we also know that as far as it's concerning Desmond and Penny, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. This is good. Yes. Like, this is a pure win. Uh, it's the purest win of the show, uh, I think, um, short of, like, the actual reunion. But I think because this happens first, I think this rightfully gets the credit. <laughs> yeah, and also, uh, in that case, they're also all dead. So, this sort of, like, also, a good like, news a lot of people, A lot of people have, well, yeah, I mean, like, in terms of, like, them meeting in the middle of the ocean in the season four finale. Oh, right, right, right. So much, so much death has just occurred that, like, the there's too much heaviness around that i think that it doesn't hurt the case here for the constant that this is an episode that's surrounded by egg town and the other woman yeah you know like the the stakes are a little bit lower surrounding the constant so it has a lot of room to put its arms around this episode and just like give it a big give us, hug. The audience a huge hug it's just yeah it gives i don't cry every time i see this scene i don't cry every time i listen to it i do get chills and i and i get I go like far away mm, every time. Yeah. You know, it just makes, it makes me think about a lot. Yeah. Uh, it's hard to podcast about actually. It's, it's uh, incredibly, I, I, like I said, I, I hope we didn't, we, we're not done with the episode yet by any means, but I, I, I hope we did an okay job covering that scene in particular, because I agree. It is a scene that evokes so much. It's also one of those classic scenes that honestly makes you project yourself into Desmond for a second and say like, I, I should, call someone and tell them how I feel because you never know when you might end up in your own island and miss those opportunities to do so. It's it's sort of a meditation on lost is a meditation on loss and love in in a in a sense of the words. And I think that when you get back what you have lost, that love that comes out of it is is something that constantly runs through my mind. In a world where unfortunately 
we are increasingly losing more and more things around us. When you get that opportunity to make that connection, it, uh, it evokes something in you. And I think getting to experience that joy from two characters who have experienced anything but over the course of lost it, it it resonates it magnifies it expands it's beautiful in every sense of the word yeah um of course the ending of the episode you can't leave it there right. it's lost we got to get we got to get the knife in a little bit we got to make things weird and interesting again and so you get that final shot of daniel faraday in the notebook and if anything goes wrong desmond hume will be my constant um and i think that that's just like a, a fun little stinger does it impact the episode one way or the other if this is out of here do you think i so i i is it a better episode without this scene or do you think that this is good no i mean i, I actually like it so actually i was uh looking up some information about it apparently according to the audio commentary on this episode this was not the original ending the original ending was going to be that charlotte was going to approach faraday with the bag with the gas masks which was alluding to stuff from the tempest from next episode so it was going to be less of a freaky deaky ending and more of an omg what's going on with the freighter stuff so i'm happy even more so that they they got rid of that thing while obviously this ending is remembered less so than the the constant scene between the call, I do think that it, it evokes back to Lost as well. That yes, this is a, a show about human connection, but it is also a show about the variables, about the mysteries as well. And I also do like it coming back to a new character like Daniel Faraday. I know that people are pissed of, oh, Faraday and Desmond really don't have many scenes together after this. For me, it it wasn't about Desmond the character. It's about Desmond the concept, if that makes sense. It's about... For Faraday, someone who is experiencing something similar spurred him down this path back in 1996. Desmond yeah. purely existing reminds Faraday and anchors Faraday. It's not that he has to continually love Desmond or interact with him. I think for him, it was meeting Desmond Hume that now anchors him to the island, to this moment. So I think it's it's more of a, it's supposed to be a one-time thing. I don't think it's supposed to be a continual constant of a of a relationship it's not like desmond himself is drifting in and out of time and pegney keeps dragging him back i think it's this one instance where daniel consults with desmond that brings him back to reality as well oop there goes gravity and now daniel faraday has a better head on his shoulders than he has been for the past eight years so something we've been doing here in season four, I think, uh, to coin it is like we've been we've been flash forwarding ourselves, right? We've been doing our structure a little out of order. And lately, over the last few weeks, we've been doing um, the episode ratings here rather than going straight into feedback, uh, just because I think like naturally that's that's where the conversation has been drifting. And I think this is no different. And uh it, this both is, it's historic and yet should come as no surprise that we have arrived at our very first clean sweep 4.2 episode of lost that, yep. um it's a 4.2 from me a 4.2 from mike it's a 4.2 from the listeners it's a 4.2 overall the constant is the best episode of lost according to down the hatch as it stands so a bit of a story about this particular episode so i spoke about this a bit in our season three feedback show that lost season four aired during the second half of my first semester of college And those of us that have been to a collegiate setting know how much of a position of transition that can be, especially from a social perspective. And I will admit, first semester freshman year of college 
was rough for me. I, I consistently tried to find friends among this new complete group of strangers. It was not a fun time. I will fully admit, and this is the only time I've experienced this in my life, I had people approaching me flat out saying, like, we don't want to be friends with you anymore, which was rough. And it's awful. Yeah, it leaves, you in, it leaves you in an incredibly vulnerable situation where you feel like you can't find a crowd. You can't find your people. For lack of a better term, you feel like you are out on an island. In the beginning of second semester, I had found a few people that I had bonded with through improv and then by proxy friends of those friends. And I remember at the time that people started getting into loss. Like everyone was like, Oh, you know, we, uh, some people had watched it like me, some others hadn't. And so they sort of loaned the DVDs to everyone. But by the time season four came around, we were all caught up on it. Super invested, super invigorated by the show. And I remember it clear as day, February 28, 2008, because I, I always will. There was a configuration of us that sat down like we did every week to watch Lost. It was in my room this time on our little 18-inch TV. And we watched The Constant. And it was an incredibly special experience to have with someone in the room. And remember... I really hadn't had that experience up to this point. I got to watch episodes with my mom, but I had missed out on the experiences, Josh, that you had in those first few seasons of getting to watch certain twists, certain things unfold that you know and you remember and you are bonded really for life as OTT as it may be with those people that were in the room with you. No, it's not. I'm bonded with those people for life. This is, you know, getting close to, you know, what, 15 years, 16 years later. Yeah, and so I watch the constant and we 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 you know were puzzling everything together during the commercials we were gasping when desmond hits the wall in 1996 and of course we were all crying and heaving as desmond calls penny and then stuffing up our tears in wtf when we find daniel faraday's message and in that moment in that period of time where i felt unmoored drowning in a sea of variables trying to figure out who i was who the people were that i wanted to associate with i found my constant i i found a group of people that i am still close friends with to this day the people that made up my wedding party the person who i married was in that room and i found my constant in lost uh this this in that moment became that show to me that was more than important. It was more than, than just that water cooler experience of a show that was fun to talk about on television forums. And now with a, with a group of people, this was a show that was important to me because it brought these people into my life, just like it brought these castaways into our lives and into each other's lives to, to, to shuffle off that moral coil at the end of the day. And so I have lost to think fundamentally so much for so much in my life, for our relationship, Josh, for this podcast, for the for my relationships with the people that are watching and listening right now, and for making uh, a sense of friendship and bonds that honestly saved my life. And so that's that's why this yeah. episode means a lot to me, and it, it always will. I think for this episode to be that too, 
is is really additionally powerful. This episode doesn't need any help yeah. being, you know, such a gut punch. Um, I really appreciate you sharing that, Mike. I know a lot of people will. A lot of people already do. A lot of people uh, already saying you're our friend, Mike. We're your friend. I have friends now. You know, <laughs> my, myself included. Uh, and I think you're speaking uh, to the power of uh, of the relationship between storytelling and community, not yeah. the show. No. Uh, but maybe also the show is what I'm finding out on a different podcast. But the power between, um, you know, growing out your network and having relationships and um, experiencing life together and, uh, you know, the just the, the sheer force that comes with that and how a story well told can, you know, it's there's a reason why this is an ancient tradition. Yeah. Know, telling whether it, you know, it's, you know, telling stories around a fire or going live on Twitch to talk about the best episode of Lost with a bunch of people or even when it's just you and me. Yeah. And then the podcast goes out and then everybody has their experiences with it of, uh, going for a run or, you know, washing dishes or whatever the hell, whatever it is, you know, um, there is some sense memory to like being transported to a different place. Even if it's not one you've been to before, literally you're, you, you know what it's like to be there. You know what it's like to, to, to make that travel. I think it's a really important thing. Um, lost really clarified that for me, uh, you know, early in my life. I'm really grateful for that. Um, and it is constantly reminding me that uh, as we're as we're doing this show uh, and doing this particular episode specifically, uh, I think that there's just there's so much here about what it what it means to live. Yeah, I think Lost represents a lot of that stuff. So, uh, you know, the people who who bag on the show and like, you know, the ending sucks, they drop the ball. Like, I think you're missing the point yep. in a really profound way. And that's fine. I'm sure that you have that in other things. And that's great, too. I'm really glad that I have it through this show. I think it's the proper venue for it. It's my favorite venue for it. And uh, I'm I'm glad that happened for you with the constant mic. Not that we wouldn't have met each other in other circumstances, in I don't life. think. Um, but I'm, I'm glad you had that experience and I'm, I'm glad that it at least, uh, propelled us to this point yeah. and we're, and wherever the hell we're going next, I think it's going to be, Oh my God. Really so, fun. so that being said, this is not only the number one episode of season four with a perfect 4.2, but it is, I believe our number one episode of all time. Now the podium is Exodus taking the bronze through the looking glass has the silver. The constant has the gold and Josh, I do not think it is getting dethroned. I don't think so either. Uh, I, I I I think the only way that it could be dinged is if we get scores that are not four point two for the constant. I would imagine that is just uh, you really if you're going to send that in, just ar- just argue it well. <laughs> yeah, you, you better write that check. Uh, yeah, just write the check. Just write the check. Explain why. Uh, if you've got a reason, I'm open to hearing it. Um, and I should say that uh, through the looking glass is so close. Uh, mm-hmm. It is very close. There is from one listener who I will not identify. It gets a four from one person. Uh, and that is the difference maker. Uh, it is clean 4.2s for the constant. Um, let's get into some feedback. 
um, some arguments in favor of uh, whether or not this is the best episode of Lost. Mike Riley says yes. Riley says this is the best episode of Lost to me, and it's not close. In one episode, it tells a beautiful story of love and devotion and uses time travel to tell the story of star-crossed lovers who will do anything to find each other. The phone call scene at the end is my favorite scene of Lost. This story feels like an epic, but it's also personal and touching. Every scene feels crafted to perfection. It's perfect storytelling. I'm even more blown away by the constant on this rewatch. Uh, I will say that from uh, Riley's perspective, that uh, more blown away by the constant on this rewatch, I, w- I will co-sign that. Um, a couple no's, including from, from one who is currently hanging out with us <laughs> as we're recording this podcast, the great Ben behind the curtain, Ben Martell. Uh, ben says, this episode is as good as Through the Looking Glass, with the exception of one small thing that separates them. Through the Looking Glass ended with a scene that changed the landscape of the entire show and arguably network television more generally. Yeah, I mean, I, I'll sort of, I guess, bring it back around, creating my own paradox as to what I said before. I love this episode. It holds an incredibly important place on my heart. It is not my personal favorite episode. I have espoused how much I love Exodus. Nor, again, I, I personally don't think it's the best because, again, the, the one thing that's lacking to me is that it's an incredibly, perfectly well-told story. I think it's just missing the un- the element of those characters, those other characters that we know and love and are huge building blocks of loss. And it is absolutely fine that it chooses not to do that. We talked about how special this episode is in focusing on a character like Desmond, who is really introduced mostly through season three and through these wonky time travel perspectives. But I can absolutely 100% respect the opinion of people who say this is the best episode of Lost. I think no matter what, it is one of the best episodes of television. I think it is standalone. I think it just evokes so many feelings and so many themes and not only of Lost, but of life that it's just... It's a perfect hour of television. I think the unfortunate thing is that Lost has many perfect hours of television. It's not unfortunate at all. This is what we call uh, a very pie-in-the-sky yeah, problem. For, first world problems. First world issues, yes. Uh, Andrew Seagraves had asked which episode's your favorite, The Constant, or Through the Looking Glass, to which I say, trick question, the answer is Trisha Tanaka <laughs> is dead. <laughs> you went with that hidden third option, of course. Just kidding. I'm, I'm obviously kidding. The answer is the brig. Um, oh, Stefan yeah. <laughs> Johnson. Stefan Johnson says, the debate is usually if the constant or through the looking glass is better, but which scene is better? We have to go back or I love you, Penny. It's I love you, Penny. I think that it, that speaks to, again, the heart character-driven aspects versus the big mystery aspects. And not to say that we have to go back is not incredibly well done. We, we spoke praises about it on Through the Looking Glass. But I, I think in the context of the show and everything around it, I think I Love You, Penny plays better on a rewatch than We Have to Go Back. When you already know the ending of We Have to Go Back, it still is fire to watch. But there is just so much heart eking its way and oozing its way through I Love You, Penny, that I think it, it absolutely beats it down oh it's so hard it's very very tough um it's really really difficult it's really difficult to say they're they're great for very different reasons exactly they're Um, very they're probably the best scenes of their particular aspects of what they're going for yeah yeah um i don't know i i I think it i I think i'd give it to i think i'd give it to i love you benny yeah um it's just it's just it's I think I'll side on, uh, I'll, you know, it's, it's a, it's a horse race, but I'll come out on the side. Horace Goodspeed of, race. 
what's the one that makes me feel more, mm-hmm. you know? And I think this is the one that makes me feel more. Um, there is like a surprise value that's baked into the, the we have to go back moment that gets uh, removed when you know what's happening. There's nothing that gets removed on revisiting the I love you, Penny. It is it is whole from start, from first shot, from first glance to now the 108th glance or whatever it is. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. it's it's very full all the way through. Um, let's talk about this. Is the constant a Christmas movie from No Name? And- sure. I mean, it's not a yeah. movie, but sure. Yeah. Uh, is Die Hard uh, a lost episode? Um, no. Uh, this is from Dallin Servo. Does Desmond always go to see Faraday at Oxford, or is that something new he does? We've talked about this, Mike. We feel like this is whatever happened, happened territory. Yeah, I think it's just whatever happened, happened. I think due to the unfortunate shenanigans that these two men experience, they probably have forgotten or maybe have blurry memories of this time that this happened. But I do think that this probably all happened. It's just that because we're dealing with unreliable narrators, or in this case, centric characters, it has obscured these memories from our POV up to this point. Um, well, to, to follow this through a little bit further from Eric Divestein, Eric writes, in the season two finale, I was confused by Desmond's decision to stay away from Penny and let her believe he didn't write to her from prison, then go sail around the world when he knew they both still loved each other. Now I'm wondering if he did these things partly because he was aware of the events from 96 that we just saw in The Constant. I think it would be, for me, it doesn't it doesn't track if Desmond remembers this stuff. I agree. I think it's more so that Desmond, as much as we love Desmond, he's a bit bullheaded. He is stubborn about this, this, again, this opportunity to get his honor back, to try to redeem himself to Penny in this moment, despite their catastrophic relationship that I could imagine him wanting to pursue this. I think it complicates it more that if he knows what's going on and says, okay, I have to do all this to go to the island for this to happen. I like it much more that he is a victim of tragedy and fate to a certain perspective, though maybe the things that he does without him remembering get him to this point in the first place. Correct. Um, uh, This is from the great Brendan Fitzpatrick, who is is in here with us right now. Uh, Brendan writes in and says, why does Widmore give Desmond Penny's address? Is this secretly a part of the whole Eloise is in on everything theory? This has to happen in order for everything to go the way it needs to go eight years from now. It's a good question. I personally don't think so. I rely more on the Eloise Hawking knows everything than the Charles Widmore knows everything because otherwise then his journey to the island, I think, raises some more questions than it answers, to be quite honest. But I also could see him maybe have some knowledge as to, if not Desmond's importance, maybe, you know, uh, some stuff that might be going on with the island. And so he needs to make some connections. I don't know. Charles Woodmore, he's a he's a very enigmatic man, and I'm sure we'll dig into him more the more that we find out about him. But I don't know how I feel about De- uh, Charles Woodmore trying to, you know, play puppet master in this moment and say, well, I know that Desmond has to get to the island so and make the phone call so that the Kahana makes its way to the island. So therefore, I need to make sure he finds Penny's address and talks to her. Um, let's take one more from the feedback document. If there's any one of you time travelers out there, if you want to get in a final question, now would be the time to present it. But this is from Clemens. Uh, Clemens writes in and says, has Damon Lindelof been putting Watchmen Easter eggs in all of his works? 
because it really sticks out to me that Desmond's becoming a Dr. Manhattan-like figure here in The Constant. He was blasted in an accident with radiation that led to him having visions of the future and reliving his past similar to experiencing time all at once like Dr. Manhattan. In season six, we see him get blasted a second time by an opponent, uh, making him light up in a way that pretty much makes him look like it's t- it's taken directly out of an issue of Watchmen. Yeah, um, and then there's that moment that we saw his blue dick, right? <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Do we, you didn't see that deleted scene? That was the variable that I did not take into account when I read this piece of feedback <laughs> comparing Desmond to Dr. Van Hat. Well, Should have seen it coming. Should have seen it coming. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I think that or I guess maybe Green in lieu of uh, the, the, the comparison I nope, made to a certain character. Mike, don't try. Nope. <laughs> Nope, Mike. You can't unhang the dong. When you when you hang dong, you can't go back. You did it. It happened. It's real. Whatever happened, happened. <laughs> we must move on. Let's get into the MVPs and LVPs. All right, uh, Mike. You've got three MVPs this week. I've got two. I've got three LVPs. You have two. Um, how do we want to do this, Mike? I know once again, this feels like another situation where we are collaborating mm-hmm. in secret on at least our MVPs. Yeah, I think. so Stefan, don't add us. Uh, well, let's speak about the man of the hour in a manner of speaking. Yeah, you got you got to give a point to Desmond here, at least one. Uh, I know I'm giving yeah, you one. Give two. Yeah, you're going to give him one. This is an incredible. I mean, and Desmond's able to ultimately succeed. In his accomplishments, he's, he's able to moor himself to the present era and he's able to, you know, declare his love for Penny, something that he has been waiting even beyond 2001 years and years, essentially since their breakup to do so. And so it's it's really a tour de force for Desmond, a tour de tour de force for Henry and Cusick, just and still, in my opinion, his best performance, probably in his career. So Desmond gets two points here. You one from me, one from you. Yes, uh, one from each of us. Uh, Mike, with the honor of giving the MVP point to Penny Widmore that I co-sign mm-hmm. in spirit, uh, not with my point because I've got another person that I'd like to give a point to. Yes, Penny. I mean, she ultimately is able to talk with Desmond, too. She succeeds on her goal and she does follow his orders, right? She does believe him, does keep the number. And as a result of that, if she doesn't do that, so much changes. If Desmond gets a voicemail when he tries to call her, the entirety of loss shifts in that moment. So Penny deserves a, a lot of kudos here. And Josh, I know your second MVP is also someone I would co-sign as well. Daniel Faraday. going to give a point to Daniel Faraday? Because he comes in clutch with that science. Uh, that sweet mixture of science and faith as he is able to guide Desmond through his time travel trip. Uh, without Daniel Faraday... Desmond doesn't get to Penny. If Desmond doesn't get to Penny, rescue doesn't come. Uh, Daniel Faraday, essential to the success of the constant. And I'll give my final MVP point, which I'm assuming you which also- I'm deeply underlining. Yeah. And I'm sad that I don't get to do it officially. I want I saw you put it up first, so I didn't do I, it myself. I, I put it in, though, because I said I want to I want dibs on Saeed before Josh. Says. I hate it. I hate it because I would have done it. But, but yeah, Saeed, uh, Saeed, I, Saeed, I triple underline. We, we talk so much in this podcast about how Saeed is just a great plus one to the freighter trip here, how he's able to support Desmond, how he's the one that's able to get the phone hooked up for Desmond to call Penny in the first place. He's an incredible ride or die 
in this episode. He is the person you want to bring with over the course of this crazy expedition. So Saeed gets another point here. So it's, it's, it's tough. I do think we wanted to represent the wide swath of characters. I wish we could give more points to Saeed and Desmond in particular, but I'm, I'm happy they're getting some love here. All right, let's get into the LVPs. Um, you and I are both in lockstep with an LVP point each to Charles Widmer. Turn the water off, you douche. Turn the water off. Turn it off. Turn off the water and stop being so mean all the time, Charles Widmore. Exactly. And I have one more LVP point. I'm going to give it to Dr. Ray. Because Dr. Ray, uh, he he's a little composed in the beginning here, but he just flat out loses it as it goes on. And I don't like what he says about Daniel Faraday, okay? You insult the Faraday, and not in a fun, cheeky way. You get an LVP point from me, Dr. Ray. Dr. Ray. Um, Minkowski dies. I'm giving him an uh-huh. LVP point. He dies. And this is an episode where it's difficult to hand out LVPs to the point that I was going to give one to Eloise the mouse. I felt bad. The mouse did the time travel. That was good. That's true. Um, so you know who I'm going to give an LVP point to, Mike? Okay, who? I'm giving an LVP point to Michael Dawson. What? I'm giving an LVP point to Michael, who is present in this episode <laughs> through his actions and his actions, while helpful to get them out of the room, this dude sabotaged the communications. Mm, he yeah, he does make he things harder. He sabotaged the communications. He made this so much harder than it had to be. Wow. And so, and this uh, is also your own prelude, I think, to your the rage that'll be coming and meet Kevin Johnson as well. Probably the worst aspect of the constant is uh, is Michael the spy. You can smell him. Uh, I hate it. I hate this stuff. Uh, so yeah, I'll get a head start on giving Michael an LVP. Uh, Michael is uh, I caught him venting. Yeah, even though he was working on wires in communication, but he was actually we caught him up. venting. We caught him venting. Um, so those are the MVPs and LVPs. And yes, again, clean 4.2 for the constant. It's the number one episode of season four. It is, according to Down the Hatch, the number one episode of Lost so far. And I agree. I do not think that will be... Uh, that won't be changed by anything coming up, at least. No, I think um, I, I think that the end is the closest that might come to hitting that podium. But I think it is its divisiveness, I think, still might put it a notch below those top three. Correct. Um, all right, Mike, our binge recording sessions continue. This is the constant. A milestone has been reached. History has been made. And now we reach a milestrom in the other one. Yes. Well, we're going to the other woman next, which is uh, among my least favorite episodes of season four, maybe my least favorite episode of season four. Yeah, and it's definitely Um, a mine. And it's interesting, Josh, we are going from an episode that is in discussion for the best episode to Lost to something that some people in our audience have already been saying is the worst episode of Lost. The worst episode of Lost. Wow. Um, Yeah, just like to, to peek ahead behind the curtain. Uh, yeah, we've got uh, <laughs> we've got it as low as in the ones from one person who I shall not identify, but they are uh, they're they're one of the time travelers joining us here for the constant. Yeah, so we shall see. I mean, it's a it's a a very interesting episode. It's always tough to follow up a monolith like the constant, and so we're going back to the island. We get a Juliet episode that does not paint her nor Ben 
in the most savory light, though I would say actually it's more of a Ben flashback episode than a Juliet flashback episode, if we're being completely honest, which I think is something that doesn't yeah. help the episode. We finally get Goodwin making an appearance, and we're really stoking those flames of, can we trust Daniel and Charlotte? What are they doing with the Tempest? Which I think becomes more of a nothing burger in retrospect when you you realize what they particularly are there for. I'll be intrigued to relitigate as to whether or not it is a bottom episode of Lost. Does it hold up uh, on our reverse Mount Rushmore alongside Stranger in a Strange Land and Adrift and Fire Plus Water? We shall see. I'm interested. I'm interested in checking it out. Uh, we will be doing that soon. Um, I would normally be saying at this point, it's too late to get your feedback in for that episode. But if you are one of the time travelers who is joining us for the constant this week as we are recording live, you could get in feedback yeah. now. Yeah, you have, you have uh, down about the hatch, 48 hours. Yeah, 48 hours. Down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com. A little less than 48 hours. I think you got like 42. Ooh! Something close to that. 42. Let's call it 42 hours uh, to get your feedback in. Down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com. Um, Mike, there's so much going on, whether it's on the patron feed, mm-hmm. patreon.com slash postshowrecaps. You got the Bloom files. Mm-hmm. We've got everything is super with WandaVision, some Star Wars coming this week. Everything is happening. Uh, Mike, it's just uh, it's just a tremendous amount of stuff. And <gasps> Steve, we have to vaguely plug things. I don't think we necessarily remember what we can plug for two weeks from now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it is a it is a, a little bit hard to know exactly where we are. <laughs> In the timeline, I do believe that as of this recording, releasing uh, this recording, this podcast is dropping at the end of my first week at the job, at the new job. I killed it, guys. I did such a good job. I really just edited the crap out of everything. I did such a good job editing as uh, the TV and movies editor of (laughs) Inverse.com. I'm sure it was a great week. Great, great first week, Josh. None of the team at Inverse said, Josh, I don't want to be your friend. Yes. Good. Everyone welcomed me. Yeah, with no jackasses on your team. <laughs> I hope. Oh, my God. Um, Mike, we will get into the other woman next week. Uh, we will record that a couple days from now, and then we'll record Gion mm. uh, later this week as well uh, for ourselves in the real time, and that'll end our binge recording session. Um I'm loving season four. It's, I'm having an incredible so time going fun. through season four. It's so much fun. And this is it's a great. really, I think it's also helped by our own sort of like marathon breakneck pace, but I'm ready to, to keep those tissues. I'll push them away for a little bit for the other woman, but I'm ready to bring them back into close proximity for GE on an episode that I love dearly. I'll talk about it more next week and even more two weeks from now, but we're going to take a little bit of a dip right now after just experiencing the highs and highs of the constant. But I, I really do think well, we're in for some fun stuff from here on out. I think so, too. And just because of where we are right now and as our final uh, tip of the cap to the constant, uh, Mike, I wonder if we could play ourselves out of this episode by playing that iconic scene Uh, one last time with feeling I love you, Penny. We love you, Hatchlings. This was the constant.
Is that really you? Yeah. <laughs> yes, it's me. You believe me? <laughs> you still care about me? I've been looking for you for the past three years. I know about the island. I've been researching. <laughs> and then when I spoke to your friend Charlie, that's when I knew you were still alive. That's when I knew I wasn't crazy. Yes, yes, I'm here. I'm still here. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, that's better. I love you, Penny. I've always loved you. I'm so sorry. I love you. I love you too. I don't know where I am, but... I'll find you, Des. I promise. No matter what. I'll come back to you. I won't give up. I promise. I promise. I I love you. I'm sorry, power source went dead, that's all we have. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.